Good morning, afternoon, or evening, and welcome to the Bloody Disgusting Network. The following show is just horrifying. Beware. Yes, I did it. I killed Yvette. I hated her so much. It, it, the, it, flame, flames, flames on the side of my face, breathing, breath, heaving breaths. And welcome back to Horror Queers. We're talking a matter of life after death. Now that he's dead, I have a life. We're talking, I was in the hall. I know because I was there. And we're talking 1 plus 2 plus 2 plus 1. And I'm Joe. And I'm Trace. And we're talking flames on the side, heaving, breathing, on the side of my face. (laughs) (laughs) Happy Halloween, everybody. We are talking Clue, in case you couldn't figure it out. (laughs) Yes, it's the episode that demanded us to try and recreate both vocal mannerisms as well as physical pratfalls on an audio-only medium. Joe, I... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I, I I we'll get into this in a bit, but I have seen this movie countless times. And taking mm-hmm. one, it was one of those movies where I was like, "Well, do I even need to watch this again to take notes?" And the answer is always yes. The answer is yes, one hundred percent. And I still like cackled my entire way through it. But I was also like, my notes are just quotes. Like I wasn't writing yes. down any plot i have no idea i have never had this much trouble writing notes on a movie because i'm like well what am i gonna say i'm just gonna say the lines <laughs> yeah basically yeah it it's one of those things where we've talked about comedies a couple of times this year and it's so tempting to just say oh i'm just gonna do all the jokes i almost had the opposite problem where i said okay don't pay attention to the jokes because mm-hmm. you are in charge of the plot and it was like oh my god it's so nonsensical and just like it's all there, and yet it also doesn't matter at all. Not at all. When we get into the reception, we'll talk about that a bit. But may- maybe right. maybe we can have some help in, in yeah. discussing this film. <laughs> all right, everyone. They are the hosts of Good Morning, Nancy, an intersectional and queer podcast in which two best friends talk about their favorite scary movies. Please welcome Gracie Jarvis and Abby Brown. Hi! Hello! Hi! <laughs> We're here... And we're, we are actually, we are queer and we are, we are ready to talk about Clue. (laughs) Oh my God. I'm so excited. I'm so happy to be here. (laughs) We are excited to have you both. Oh my God. Like, hey, this energy that I'm feeling is wonderful. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) So, okay. I mean, this is a bit, I mean, as Joe said, right? Like this is a comedy. Like we, we don't typically do like just comedies, but what brought y'all onto this? What, what, what is your connection with this film of of ours, Clue? Holy cats. Well, so for me, I actually had to really think about like, how did I first get introduced to this film? Right. So um, I actually was in Clue the Musical. (gasps) What? (laughs) Yes. 
I played Mrs. Peacock. <laughs> oh, best best character in the movie. I don't know oh, how. Oh, oh, I, but... I have thoughts. I have thoughts. <laughs> oh my god, Gracie! I forgot about that. I know. So it was my sophomore. Well, it was the start of my sophomore year of college. I was in it, and um, uh, yeah, I was Mrs. Peacock, who's more like Mrs. White in the film. Mm, so yeah. I sort of tried to like use both energies like you know because mrs peacock in the movie is very nervous but then like you have like mrs white who's very dramatic and mm-hmm. and kind of a femme fatale or whatever so i just kind of used both when i played it but our director told us to watch this movie and to kind of base our characters off of them and so when i that was the first time i saw it and you know i'm not gonna lie when i first saw it i thought Eh, about 80% of these jokes are not landing for me. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Okay. When I first so when I first saw it. So um now, and I actually told Abby this um before we started uh recording, but I watched it this time and I was like, oh my gosh. I was like, this film is so funny. Like wait, <laughs> wait, 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 wait. I don't know if I had to like grow into it or if I was just like a snotty teen or something. And I was like, I don't know if I get any of these jokes. I don't know. But I just maybe now I'm just like I'm just So before this viewing, you thought you did not like this movie very much. So I I hadn't seen it in a few years. That was the first time I saw it, was like when I was like 19. But like uh, okay. as I've been watching it over the years, and I hadn't seen it in like I think two or three years mm. before watching it for this. But I was like laughing out loud. I was like, oh my gosh, look at me laughing out loud in this film. <laughs> like, so anyway, um, I definitely appreciate it more now. I love this movie now. It's my mother-in-law's favorite movie because she loves Tim Curry. Yes. So <laughs> her and I like bond over Tim Curry movies. And this is one of her favorites. So yeah, I like it now. <laughs> nice. And Abby? You've seen the light. I've seen the light. <laughs> um, Let's see. I saw this movie probably back in eighth grade. Mm-hmm. So long time ago. My sister's friend introduced her to it, and then she was like, Abby, you have to watch this movie. It's fucking hilarious. (laughs) So I was like, okay. So I watched it, then I showed it to all of my high school friends, and we would, like, constantly quote it. And, like... (laughs) Yes, it's so quotable. The flames part, like, the flames on the sides of my face, and, like, (laughs) how Mrs. Peacock talks about the soup. Oh, my, the soup's delicious. Like, (laughs) that was one that we would constantly say to each other. So it was a lot of fun basically, when I saw it, but it's been a favorite of mine for a very long time. Mrs. Peacock is the, and the reason I say I like her the most is because, so it's a movie where every character, every actor is always in character doing their thing. And oh, so yes. Yes. yes, in every shot, if this character is not the focus of the shot, they're trying to pull focus. Yes. And, <laughs> yep. Mrs. and Eileen Brennan, who is, and we'll talk about her situation, like when we get into the pr- production of this film, because she was uh, kind of out of rehab, but she is her faces. <laughs> she oh made my God. God. I know. the the yes. gays. The gays wish they had this. <laughs> like, her faces are so good. <laughs> yeah, I, yes. I think one of the new things that I've discovered is that this film is endlessly quotable, but it's also endlessly gifable because the reaction oh shots are really just doing this, God's work in this yes. movie. This yes, this film was made to be gift for sure. <laughs> And yes. Joe, what about you, Joe, though? Because, I mean, we've talked about Clue a lot and how much we love it, but I don't think I know your connection to this film. 
No, the weird thing is, is that I'm very similar to Gracie. I can't for the life of me remember the first time I saw this. I just feel like it's always been in my life. Like this and Airplane are films that my parents showed me. They kind of said... All of the movies that you watch that are supposedly funny are garbage. Let us show you movies that are legitimately clever and funny. And it was like, oh, oh, damn. Yeah, you're right. Yes. Oh, my God. Incredible. Like, Deuce Bigelow, Male Gigolo, ain't got a candle to... To Clue. (laughs) (laughs) So I I used to always... I had a great aunt and great uncle that lived in Lake Charles. This is not a long story, I promise. Um, In Lake Charles, Louisiana. And I remember going there and, like, my grandma was there and, like, we went to Blockbuster and I I was probably around eight or nine years old, maybe ten. And Mm -hmm. I saw Clue and I was like, oh, like, the game. I didn't know they made a movie of Clue. And I remember my grandma looking at it. She picked up the box. She looks at it and she goes... I don't know. You might think this is kind of boring. And for a child, maybe. Uh, well, entirely <laughs> possible. I don't honestly don't really. I definitely didn't catch all the, the puns when I was a kid. No. Yeah. But but it was the aspect of the murder mystery that appealed to me the most. So mm-hmm. I, I mm-hmm. don't remember if I laughed a lot, but I do remember being invested in like like trying to piece together the murder mystery. And oh, my God. <laughs> but, yes. but, I, I know. An I know. Task. Which of the three? <laughs> Well, and that's the thing, too, because, you know, when it airs, like, obviously outside of the theatrical release, like, it airs the endings, like, in ABC, like, in order. And I remember the first ending, and then it does the whole, oh, like, that's how it could have ended, but how about this? And I was like, what? (laughs) Mind blown. (laughs) It's amazing, because I was trying to think if there's any other example that I know of that has done this. And I think the only contemporary example is Unfriended Dark Web, where they had two different endings. But I think apart from that, it's like, oh, they tried it with Clue, it didn't work, and they Mm. never did it again. Or it's like the choose-your-own endings or choose-your-own-adventure books. Oh, I guess there is Bandersnatch, the Black Mirror show. This was sort of like a theater gimmick, and I don't feel like theater gimmicks were even really a thing in the 80s, right? That was more of a William Castle thing, wasn't it? Yeah. So I don't know if even that generation, they were probably like, what the fuck is this? Like, like, where's the 3D? (laughs) Well... I mean, everyone was busy doing drugs in the 80s. That, that's why it didn't work. <laughs> you mean half this cast? Half of this cast. Um, no, I, I don't know that for a fact. We'll have some cocaine anecdotes. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you gotta. It's the 80s. <laughs> yes. But Clue is such a brand. I mean, like, I played the game growing up. I'm 100% a cheater. I am the guy that will be like, oh, I have to go pee. And I'll walk to the bathroom and like look, look at, at everyone's cards. cards. 100%. No. But, no, but, but they also had Clue books, like for elementary school kids when I was a kid. And so you could read it. You read the book. and It was a different mystery each time, but with the same cast and the same concept of who killed Mr. Body. Oh, weird. Yeah, but yeah. And so it, it would be like, oh, like turn the page to find the answer to the mystery. But you could try to piece it together beforehand. So I was very very much into Clue before I knew this movie existed, which is why when I saw it at Blockbuster, I was like, holy fuck, how have I not heard of this? Wow, I had no idea about those books. Mm -hmm. I didn't either. So I'm actually just remembering that I think my introduction (laughs) to this in part, so my parents had... They were the VCR generation, so we had a VCR version of this. Not like the movie, but we had the board game... You know, Nightmare oh, the Game, where you had, like, yes. the VHS tape that you would play, and it would mm-hmm. play as you played the board game? We had the Clue version of that. Oh. Whoa. Retro. Oh That's yeah. amazing. The only problem is, is that I fucking suck at Clue. So I would always just want to watch the tape and not play the game, because I could never figure out who the killer was. That's why you gotta cheat. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> 
Don't play games with me. I- I'm a really sore loser and I'm a really bad winner, so it's not really fun to play with me the other way. Oh, no. <laughs> just get him a drink and set him off in the corner. <laughs> and just keep telling Trace, Trace, you won. I did. Yep, you did. Yeah, how's it going to be losers, losers? <laughs> Trace, go outside. Go outside. Anyway. Oh, my God. I'm glad. So we're all on the same page with this with this film, um, listeners. I mean, by all means, like hopefully y'all are on the same. I, I I don't know if I know anyone that hasn't seen this film. And granted, you know, whatever. I actually had a friend in college too, where he somehow got like a bootleg copy of the audio of this movie and burned it onto a CD, and he would play the audio of the movie in his car when he was driving. What? <laughs> that is so cute. <laughs> Just oh to listen God. to it. And I wonder if you can catch the wordplay better that way. I don't think so. Oh, I so. bet you can. <laughs> I don't think so. Oh, I watched this with subtitles and I was still missing jokes no. all the time. I mean, again, like however many times we've all seen this film, every time I caught a joke last night that I had never heard before. And I was like, oh, mm-hmm. shit. Wait, which one? I'm curious. It was the it was thanks to subtitles, but it was whenever Plum was saying, you know, he works for the United Nations organization, uh, which is a part of the World Health Organization. Which, if you abbreviate it, it's U N O W H O. You know who? Yes. Oh, <laughs> oh my god! I did not. You get know that. who? <laughs> um, and there's also like, like Mr. Body is played by Lee Ving, the actor. And there's a whole line where it's like, oh, Mr. Body will be leaving soon, and so it's a play on the actor's name. Yes, and oh he's in God. that. He's in the band Fear, right? Am I am I right with that? I think he's in like this punk band called Fear, or he was. Yes. What? That's the reason he was cast against the director's wishes. Oops. <gasps> well, I didn't know that. Wow. Oh no. Oh, that's a perfect segue, y'all. So let's, <laughs> okay. here we yes. go. Oh my God. Let's discuss how this film got made because honestly. The Blu-ray is bare bones, um, and there's also reason, well, some reasoning for that. Boo, where's my <laughs> fucking deluxe treatment? <laughs> oh, we will not be getting it, um, because the, uh, par- the dire- when the Blu-ray was coming out, the director messaged Paramount and said, hey, like, you're doing a Blu-ray, would you like me to do it? And they said no. Oh my God. What the fuck? Why? What the hell? He thought, he didn't know why, they didn't give him a reason, but he was like, I think, because this is back in like 2012, I think, he was like, I think that they didn't think the home video market was really going anywhere, so they didn't want to spend money to pay me to go do a commentary oh. for this film. Oh my God. God. So, anyway, um, okay, so everyone, y'all and listeners, all of this information is actually coming from a really in-depth piece from BuzzFeed, which is honestly was shocking to me um but it was, it's from it's from 2013 and it is a piece by adam b very called the crazy story of how clue went from forgotten flop to cult triumph so getting this film off the ground let's let's talk about this director jonathan lynn who hasn't really done a ton of movies because he was put in movie jail after this movie oh. outside of my cousin Vinny. my cousin Vinny's is the one where he like got another chance and he was like there you go that movie is so good though mm-hmm that movie's also a classic. It's yeah. so funny. It's another one that's just like so quotable. <laughs> yes, mm. absolutely. So, oh, don't little dear. Oh my god, I could go on for days. <laughs> <laughs> so, Jonathan Lynn, the writer and director of this film, his first success was in television um, in a, on a TV show called Yes Minister, which was a, uh, a political satire in the early 80s. So if we have any British listeners... um. I don't know. Let us know if you are familiar with this show. Oh, it's super fucking famous and very funny. Oh, well, there you go. (laughs) (laughs) 
So by the end of 1983, Lynn, who at the time was a former actor turned theater director and obviously TV scribe, he was hitting something of a career high after the show's three-season run. So his agent informed him that hotshot Hollywood producer Peter Goober, who had produced a bunch of films, but most notably, and this will play a part here, An American Werewolf in London. Oh, okay. Mm, it's all coming together. I did say, I was picking up, there's a bunch of weird connections between this film and horror like mm-hmm. proper horror. So yes. yeah, I love that. Yes. So this guy, this Mr. Goober, he is in London. He wants to have breakfast with Jonathan Lamb. And at their meeting, he's like, oh, he didn't even beat around the bush. He was like, I have the perfect movie for you. We're going to do Clue. And <laughs> Lynn was like, wait, it's a board game. It has no story. What the fuck am I supposed to do with this? And the reasoning is because John Landis, the director of An American Werewolf in London, he was the one who was like trying to get this off the ground, was like, I'm going to direct this. I have a concept in mind. Just hire the writer. And he had Lynn in mind at this point. We'll go back in time a little bit. Right. Also important to know, uh, at this time, Jonathan Landis is also embroiled in a legal battle following the uh, tragic accident that happened on the set of the Twilight Zone movie in which actor Vic Morrow oh. and two children were killed in a helicopter accident. Yep. Yeah. Yikes. Dang. Yeah, keep that in the back of your mind while we're doing this. So, he and producer Deborah Hill, and of course, everyone may know Deborah Hill as Halloween. Yes. Yeah, I, this was the mm-hmm. first time I realized that she was involved with this film. Yes. I was like, yes, girl! Oh my god! Without <laughs> Deborah Hill, this film would not have gotten made. Uh, I mean... And She's also amazing. insert 10 other fantastic, amazing movies. Oh, yes. And Deborah yes. Hill is a goddess. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, R.I.P. So Goober is like, hey, Lynn, like, you know, go, come come to L.A., talk to Landis, talk to Hill, like, let's do it. And he's like, okay, fine, I'll hear. So Landis had already worked out a major outline of the whodunit plot. He acted it all out for Lynn by careening out of the office, jumping up and down on the furniture. It was a real Tom Cruise on Oprah situation. <laughs> I'm actually just picturing him doing, like, Wadsworth's final act thing. Like, let me walk in your eyes. Yes. <laughs> yes. So the thing is, he was doing that, but the problem is he had the movie planned out up until the ending start. He had no idea how to do the ending. Right. Oh. Which was an issue with former writers as well. Yes, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) For sure. So, I mean, Landis had apparently been giving this pitch for a few years. um, And when Deborah Hill, who was the one who got the movie rights to begin with, you know, she approached Landis about directing the movie. He was like, fuck yeah. But yeah, as I said, he couldn't figure out the ending. So... We have a couple stops here to make, and there's there's about five, but I'm only going to do two of them. So, <laughs> <laughs> oh boy, <laughs> he first turned to playwright Tom Stoppard, who worked on a script for Clue for a full year. He hit a wall and was like, "I can't figure it out." And he sent the script back and says, "Here you go. Here's the money you paid me to write this script because I can't do it." What a Aww. gentleman! Oh, mm. good on him, I suppose. I know. Yeah. But here's the fun one. Stop number two was a writing duo of one Stephen Sondheim, the musical mm-hmm. theater maestro. <gasps> Can totally what? see it. Can totally see it. But get this. His writing partner was one Anthony Perkins, a.k.a. Psycho himself. Yes. Oh, my Lord. Oh, my God. So they wrote a movie. That he, uh, Landis was a big fan of their 1973 Hollywood pastiche murder mystery called The Last of Sheila, which I had never heard of, but Landis calls it Bitchery of a High Level, As are Stephen Sondheim and Anthony Perkins. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) Which is also kind of a subtitle for this movie. Yes! (laughs) But also, don't y'all want to watch... Don't y'all want to watch The Last of Sheila now? Because Bitchery of a High Level in the 70s, written by Stephen Sondheim and Anthony Perkins? Like, what? (laughs) 
Yes. My eyes and brain are ready to consume it. That's amazing. <laughs> so they were super game, but asked for a lot of money. And Paramount Good, was like, yeah. who the fuck do you think you are? No. Uh, there's Steven Sondheim and Anthony <laughs> fucking Perkins. I know, them the like, goddamn what the hell? money. <laughs> so five writers later, Landis brings in Lynn because he's like, oh, I love Yes Minister. Let's do it. So over the next six months, Lynn worked on the script back home in England, sorting out how to craft a reasonably coherent story out of all the elements. You know, we knew we had to have the color based character names, the murder, the six murder weapons, the multi room mansion, the secret passages, all of it, which don't y'all think like this movie Let's add in video games to this mix, you know, in terms of how close you're adapting a board game or video game or whatever, this movie nails every aspect of this board game. It truly does. It's kind of amazing, actually. Like, ugh. Yeah, I think they, don't they show every single room that's on the board game, right? Yeah. I think mm -hmm. they go into every room and, of course, there's the weapons and the yes. characters. Yep. It's so funny that you were saying that they had a hard time getting a plot figured out because mm -hmm. I feel like you have a setting. You have right? characters. You might not have, like, motivation, but you have a victim. You have right. all of this stuff lined up for you and... I mean, yeah, you have to like figure out a plot and listen, it's like not easy, I get it. But I just feel like you have a lot of things to go off of here. And and I mean, this is very Agatha Christie, like closed exactly. circle. Mm -hmm. yes. So I think as long as I mean, I don't know, I feel like a lot of it is already given to them. So I'm I'm shocked to hear that they had a hard time figuring out the plot. Seriously, you could get like any D and D nerd on <laughs> board <laughs> and be like, yeah. "I'll write this story." It's all here. <laughs> it's all here. Everything I need is here to make a story. So that it's kind of shocking to me that they had a hard time because, yeah, setting characters, the victim, the weapons—it's all there. You just gotta figure out the why. Like, so it's not Monopoly. It's not Sorry. It's not Trouble. Like right? there is, it's yeah. not Battleship. <laughs> Which I heard. Trying to make a Monopoly movie, and I was like, "What are you doing? You what the stop. hell? That sounds stop. so boring. It sounds terrible." <laughs> Listen, we live a Monopoly movie every single day in this goddamn capitalistic society. I don't need a movie about it. <laughs> exactly, it's called like a Monopoly 2021. Oh, oh, Jeff Bezos story. This oh my god. Yes. So, but the the issue wasn't just the ending though, because Landis's main mandate was we have to have four different endings, and we're going to put those endings into separate movies and release them separately in theaters. And the idea was, of course, for box office. Oh, people will go see it; they'll love it; they'll want to go get another ending and go back and see it again. So they were like, mm -hmm. "We can quadruple our box office by doing." Oh my this. god! Oh, I love the ambition, and it's so naive and idealistic. I know, it's I'm like, like in retrospect, no. you're like, oh, you poor things. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Who wants to tell them? <laughs> because what really happened is the audience didn't, like, they decided they didn't know which ending to go to. And so instead of picking one to go to, they just didn't go at all. Mm. Oh, too many options. It's like when you scroll through Netflix for like two hours. Yeah. And like, there's too many. <laughs> yes. I can't yeah. pick. I think I heard like if you have more than 12 options, you just give up. There's You can't do it. <laughs> so yes. <far>. Yes. <laughs> so but anyway, so halfway through 84, and this is while Landis is filming a movie called Into the Night with Michelle Pfeiffer and Jeff Goldblum. And he's also, you know, about to stand trial for these uh, this Twilight Zone thing. Oh my god. <laughs> Just like as an afterthought. Yeah. Well, yeah. No, because this will actually play a part in the casting at some point, which I just think is really odd, but give, give me a second. Okay, so, okay. 
Lynn finished the screenplay, and he decided to set it in New England in 1954. He was drawing heavily from his friendships with screenwriters who had been blacklisted during the McCarthy era. Mm-hmm. We'll get to that, too. Yes, 100%. I mean, you know, he made color-based pseudonyms, which that honestly is kind of the stroke of genius for me. I remember being a kid and being like, well, Miss Scarlet's not wearing red, and Miss Peacock's not wearing blue. Yeah. But they fixed it with their cars. All of their cars are their colors. <gasps> oh, okay. Oh, wow. <laughs> You know, and they got the plot figured out. Um, and not only did the script satisfy all of Landis's requirements, it was teeming with screwball one-liners and rapid-fire repartee. So the only snag was this. In the time it took Lynn to write this script, Landis had agreed to direct the Cold War comedy Spies Like Us, starring Chevy Chase and Dan Aykroyd. So he couldn't direct the movie. Mm. Also, never heard of that movie. <laughs> uh, weirdly enough, it got really bad reviews when it came out and has since become a cult classic. I just, I also have never heard of this movie. <laughs> what? Okay. I definitely heard of it, uh, but I did not realize it did not do well because I feel like I know people who really love it. Uh, yeah. it, it did well financially. It did not do well critically. Gotcha. Okay. okay. Yep. Mm-hmm. So he was like, hey, Jonathan Lynn, like, do you want to do this? And to be honest, he didn't really want to do it because he was like, I, I'm a writer. I'm not really a film director. But right. when someone offers you this, you don't say no. So he said yes. Right. I mean, right. I don't blame him. You gotta. <laughs> no. So Landis basically, he stays on as executive producer, but he disappears to go do Spies Like Us. And we move into casting. So Let's start with Wadsworth. Their first choice was Leonard Rossiter. He's known for a lot of stage, but he'd done Oliver and Barry Lyndon in film. But while they were seeking him out, he actually died during the production. (laughs) Oh my god, that sucks. That does suck. There was a production of a play called Loot, and he was literally waiting to walk on stage for his part, and he died backstage. (gasps) Oh, wow. What the? Such an actor, though. What a Mm -hmm. way to go. Oh my god. Choice number two was a then relatively unknown in the States, Rowan Atkinson, a.k.a. Mr. Bean. Yeah, I totally see it. A hundred percent. Oh my god. (laughs) He would have been so good. The reason I didn't work out is because Paramount was like, we don't know him. America doesn't know him. We can't do that. Oh, oh right. my God. <laughs> we don't know British people. Never mind that the writer-director is a British person. That's what I was going to say. Like, I'm sure, like, he thought of him because he's also British. And so yeah. he was like, oh, what about Rowan? And they're like, who? Yep. Oh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, he uh, would have been great. Oh. Oh, well. Yeah. And so they, they got Curry because of Rocky Horror. Like, that was right. basically like, they were like, oh, my God. Yeah, well, let's do that. And they, he was high profile enough for Paramount to be like, yeah, sure, that's fine. Right. Which is ironic because Rocky Horror was a huge fucking flop until it became a midnight sensation. I was just (laughs) going to say, that's so weird. (laughs) Well, it's funny, right? Because now Curry has two of these like films that were flops and became huge cult hits and everyone quotes and does midnight showings of. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yep. So basically bet on Tim Curry. Mm -hmm. (laughs) If it's not a success now, it will be in 20 years. Oh, God, right. Next up is Eileen Brennan as Mrs. Peacock. So this is actually one of her first projects after a six-week stint at the Betty Ford Center for Addiction to Painkillers because she was in a car accident two years prior and oh. became addicted. Oh, oh that poor lady. Yeah. Apparently she had, she was still like physically like suffering, and so the scenes when she's running around back and forth with the cast, like she was struggling. And Christopher <sighs> Lloyd has a quote where he's like, "You could see her, but she's a trooper. She's a professional, so she didn't even like say anything about it." And you also yeah. cannot tell on screen because she I is keeping up with everybody. <laughs> I never yes. would have known. Yeah. Christopher Lloyd, not yet being in Back to the Future, because I think that would come out either like the next year or something. But he was only really known for being in Taxi. So they got him for that. 
So they got him for cheap. <laughs> yes. Uh, Michael McKean is Mr. Green. I, I always forget he's on Laverne and Shirley. Yes. Uh, right. Oh, okay. my God. Yeah. So sitcom actor again, but also this mm-hmm. is Spinal Tap was what he was known for. So he was probably the biggest heavy hitter for the man outside of Tim Curry. Mm. Okay. Uh, Martin Mull was really only known for Mary Hartman, Mary Hartman, a very funny soap opera from the 70s. Mm-hmm. But that's Corona Mustard. Mrs. White had somehow come out underwritten in the first draft of the film, but Madeline Kahn had expressed interest. So Lynn enthusiastically wrote more material for the character. So oh, imagine. Oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I have a lot to say about the women in this film. So oh, they, they carry it on their backs. The men are oh, 100%. Yes! But... <laughs> This is a woman-dominated film, 100%. Oh, my gosh. For sure. Okay, sorry. I just got super excited. No. (laughs) (laughs) So here's where this little bit of uh, John Landis trivia comes in. So Colleen Camp for Yvette, she had to fight for this role because um, Jonathan Landis didn't really want her. People like Madonna and Demi Moore were interested, as was Uh. Jennifer Jason Lee. And oh, no. could totally see it. But here's the thing, and, and this is why I bring up the Twilight Zone issue. Jennifer Jason Lee's father was Vic Morrow. I was gonna oh, say Vic shit. Morrow. Yeah, she's probably like, fuck this movie. Fuck you. Yeah. And so yeah, so literally she's like trying to get a role in this movie that would have been directed by the man who was on trial for possibly murdering her father. Oh, the drama. Holy cats. Also, that makes it seem like Hollywood is comprised of about 10 people. Like, what are the odds? (laughs) That's the end of that. So, I mean, yeah, if y'all want to know more about that accident, like, go. It's all over Wikipedia. Yeah, it's super sad. I think there's, like, a whole episode dedicated to it in that Shudder series, right? Yes. There is, yeah. Mm -hmm. Cursed cursed Films, I think? Yeah, yeah, yeah. As I said, the studio wanted leaving. Lynn did not, but he was like, ooh, I've said no to every single thing Paramount has asked of this movie, so I better <laughs> give them one thing. I guess they gave me my multiple endings. I'll take this random hot dude, sure. Yeah. <laughs> so, are y'all ready for the dirt on this now? Oh, I'm so ready. Yes! yes. We've left off one character, and that is Miss Scarlet. Mm-hmm. For Miss Scarlet, the film had its big get, and that was Carrie Fisher, Princess Leia herself. Yes! A week before rehearsals were supposed to start, Lynn got a call saying that Fisher was in rehab, mainly for cocaine use. Mm. Fisher said, oh no, it's totally fine, I'll be at the rehab facility, they'll let me out during the day, I will shoot my scenes, and I will come back at night and stay at the rehab facility. It's like, baby, no, that's not how rehab (laughs) works. Oh, honey. (laughs) So Lynn goes to Deborah Hill, Deborah Hill's like, yeah, it's fine. Okay, then he goes to Paramount Pictures head Don Steele, who goes, yeah, it's fine. Oh my gosh. Everybody's like, we really, really fucking want Carrie Fisher Seriously? in this movie. Yeah. So Lynn, in this interview from 2013, he was like, I honestly think that like Fisher, Deborah Hill, and Don Steele were like cocaine buddies. He was like, I was very naive. I didn't know everyone in Hollywood was snorting cocaine all the time. But Gee. that honestly is, 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 is what I gather was happening. <laughs> Oh my oh gosh. No. Can you imagine? We're just like sullying the good reputation of all of these people. Like, eh. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Oh my God. So, what happened was that the insurance company was like, Are y'all fucking kidding? No. Like, she cannot. <laughs> So this is when they turned to Leslie Ann Warren, who had recently earned an Oscar nomination for Best Supporting Actress for her performance in the musical Victor Victoria. Mm-hmm. I remember seeing her on a rerun of that Cinderella musical. Ooh, yes, that's how I knew her. Yes, oh that's God. how I knew her, too. And I was like, this is Cinderella. What the heck? <laughs> Wait. 
Oh my god! Did you just realize? Yes. Whereas I'm just like, oh, isn't she Susan, aka Terry Hatcher's mom on Desperate Housewives? <laughs> yes, she is. What the fuck? <laughs> Oh my god! And granted, I think that Leslie M. Warren is great in this role. She is, I mean, yeah. if I'm if I'm making rankings of the performances, she is my least favorite of the women. But like, mm. she gets more to do than honestly than Christopher Lloyd or Professor Plum or uh, Martin Muldoon. Oh, for yeah. sure. Yeah. yeah. Yep. But I mean, imagine you know, imagine Carrie Fisher in this role. How different that might have been. I think the character would have come off a lot more acerbic. Like, mm-hmm. I think Leslie Ann Warren plays her as sexy, and I think Carrie Fisher would have been sexy, but, like, with a lot more bite. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yep. So, okay, we got all that set. Clue was filmed on a soundstage at Paramount Pictures uh, in Hollywood from November to December of 1984. All interior scenes come to the Paramount lot, with the exception of the ballroom scene and the gateway exteriors in the driveway. That's filmed in a mansion in South Pasadena, which ate up $1 million of the film's $8 million budget. Holy (laughs) jumping. That is not a good use of their money, because (laughs) that comprises, what, maybe 10 seconds of footage of this movie? Yeah, like, what the fuck? Maybe they they were like, we need the atmosphere. I do want to point out that this article says the budget was $8 million, but Box Office Mojo said it was $15 million. I feel mm. like that prob- the $15 million probably includes marketing. Okay, yeah. I was going to okay. say, yeah, marketing or inflation, like what? But Yeah. Okay. I could see 15 for this, though. Mm-hmm. I mean, I just think with the cast. Yeah. But, I don't know, who knows. Well, maybe, but- maybe they got all the TV actors for a song. Maybe. <laughs> yeah. Um, nothing really else with the production. I mean, like, it actually wasn't really an improv-heavy set because Lynn didn't like improv. The only big example of improv, of course, is Madeline Kahn's infamous flame speech. Mm-hmm. The funny anecdote I saw is that he, the costume designer was really intent on having them in period-accurate clothing, so the women all had to wear, like, these really tight corsets to the point where Leslie and Morgan couldn't even sit down. She had to... <gasps> oh. um. They had to bring in, oh, I forgot what the thing was called, but they had to bring in basically a wooden board that would lean against a wall and it had armrests on it so she could lean on it, but she could not actually sit down because she didn't have the give. Okay, so I feel like you can actually see that in certain scenes. There's a moment where she sits on a desk and you can tell that she's barely (laughs) able to stay upright. Yes! And I definitely always thought that it was just, like, the fit of the dress. Me too. Mm. I thought she's worried that that thing is going to fall off. And so she's just trying to move a certain way so it doesn't... So her nips aren't exposed. I mean, there are boobs everywhere in this movie. Oh my god, (laughs) She's wearing that dress, like, in Showgirls Joe. uh, The the woman who, like, does the arm thing and her her tits pop out. (laughs) Big mama? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Mama baboom. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> Only get my tits to work. Um, okay, so Clue was released theatrically on December 13th, 1985. Each theater received one of three endings, and some theaters announced which ending the viewer would see, but some did not. So the final like, gross... how does that work? Like, we've got ending A, or we've got ending B, or like, we've got the ending where Miss Scarlet did it? It's A, B, C. Okay. ABC. And I think some newspapers would say that. Um, and a big, and we'll get to this in a bit, but the, a big issue is too for the critic screenings, they didn't tell them like what ending was what. So critics had to go and hunt for the different endings of this movie uh, in order to see it. Oh, that's a, that was a huge mistake. They should have just had a private screening for mm-hmm. critics and they should have had all three endings. Mm-hmm. And that's, uh, that's that was such a, a bad mistake on their part. And yeah. I think that's what played a part of the bad reviews. Mm. Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe, because you're going to give us some quotes, and mm-hmm. 
honestly, I feel like these critics didn't even watch the movie because their reactions are so polar opposite to what everybody else is seeing. Mm -hmm. So it opens in the number six slot with $2 million, and it goes on to gross $14.6 million in North America, just short of, again, I'm thinking a $15 million budget after marketing. So nevertheless, this movie did not make its money back. It Mm -hmm. did flop. Why is that? So let's start with one. The movie was one of several films and was late in the game, made and released between the mid-70s and mid-80s that revived the old Dark House Mansion movie. Huh, that one sounds familiar. Yes, yeah. exactly. So we've got um, oh, 1976's Murder by Death, which also starred Eileen Brennan. I low-key love that movie, oh, even it's... though it's so freaking racist. I, oh, no. I love it, though. I love it. It's so bad, though, but it's so funny. God. Have you seen this one, Joe? Uh, I've heard of it, but I haven't seen it. It's oh, got Maggie God. Smith and Truman Capote in it. Oh, okay. That's why I know it, because of Truman Capote. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, there's 1975 Spiral Staircase, 1980's The Private Eyes, Cat in the Canary in 78, House of Long Shadows in 83, Bloodbath at the House of Death in 84. These are all before Clue came out. Mm-hmm. So I wonder if it was genre fatigue. Right. Oh, yeah. oh, wow. I never thought of that. Yeah. Which is hilarious because we don't ever get these kinds of movies. Like, remember when the terrible Murder on the Orient Express comes out and everybody's losing their shit? It's like, don't. this isn't even oh a good movie. God. I, I like know. it. I like it. No, it's no, good. Trace. It's awful, Trace. Just get out. This is our podcast now. <laughs> Just get because it has here. famous people doesn't make it good. Death yeah. on the Nile comes out like, well, I mean, maybe maybe next year. Who knows when Death maybe. on the Nile comes out. But we're getting a oh, sequel. No. <laughs> we gotta get rid of Army Hammer first. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> God. <laughs> but critics also did hate this so you know janet mass of the new york times here's some examples uh the beginning is the only part of the film that is remotely engaging after that it begins to drag there is not much wit to be found in this movie what I are just you shitting me <laughs> the beginning is the slowest part yeah the beginning makes you think that it's actually a mystery and then the rest of the movie is all wit i'm sorry yeah. janet. janet you're wrong <laughs> i love your opinion but you're wrong i know <laughs> like what you thought the dog shit was the most engaging part <laughs> I do love that gag, though. No! <laughs> I know, that was so funny. Are you kidding? <laughs> I mean, but it's not the smartest joke. No, no. no. Um, Gene Siskel gave it a two and a half out of four, saying it offers a few big laughs early on, followed by a lot of characters running around on a treadmill to nowhere. Roger Ebert gave the film two out of four, saying that it has a promising cast, but the screenplay is so very, very thin that the actors spend most of their time looking frustrated as if they'd just been cut off right before they were about to say something interesting. And he also said there is not much fun to be had in this movie. What? (sighs) You know what? (laughs) (laughs) Get fuck yourself, basically. (laughs) So that being said, I mean, like, reviews have gotten better. You know, we're looking at a 66% on Rotten Tomatoes with an average score of 6.1 out of 10. Metacritic, it has a 39 out of 100. Whoa. Yeah. It's only 11 reviews, though, and I bet you they're all, like, back from back then. Right, okay. Yeah, yeah. Letterboxd, we're looking at a 7.4 out of 10. And Lynn does think that the multiple endings, you know, is the big issue. He lays the blame for the film's failure to connect. Oh, um, so yeah, not only did critics hate the idea, but Paramount bungled uh, informing the film critics which ending corresponded to the letters. But he also thinks that the uh, it was a botched marketing gimmick. 
Uh, he said it was something just that was too complex. People were like, well, do I need to go see it three times? I don't know. Blah, 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 blah. So again, as we said, people just didn't go see it because they were too confused. Right. Hmm. hmm. It kind of reminds me of like the old House of Wax. Oh, How yes. like when it came out, it had like the 3D gimmicks. Mm-hmm. But when you see it now, you're like, why the fuck am I staring at this man like flinging a ping pong ball <laughs> in my face for like... 45 seconds. Yes. (laughs) Yeah, or why are these, like, dancers, like, pushing their butts into the camera? I remember being a kid and being like, (laughs) why are they doing this? You're like, wow, this is really saucy for an old movie. Okay. (laughs) It was for for the gimmick. Yeah. Exactly. And it it sucks, right, though? Because who... I mean, well, actually... It sucks at the time, but I mean, honestly, it kind of works out because the film is so popular now. And I don't know mm-hmm. if it would have had that if it, I don't know, if, oh, who knows? Who knows what would have happened if it was a box office success? Also, right. this film is super short. Yeah. It's only an yeah. hour and a half. And I feel like if you're missing two of those endings, it doesn't end well. Like if you're only seeing one of those endings, I think if you see the final ending, which you know, mm-hmm. the one that quote unquote really happened, I think mm-hmm. that is the strong to me personally, I think that's the strongest ending. Uh, yeah. Yeah. If you're just seeing the Miss Scarlet one, which is also good, like, mm-hmm. but it's not as strong. And unfortunately, the Mrs. Peacock one oh, is I think also that one's bad. Yeah, that one is not good. <laughs> um, yes. <laughs> and that one is super weak, I I feel like. So I feel like if you're not, if you see just one of those, your movie is also going to be kind of short, really. You kind of need that extra like five or ten minutes, I feel like. Mm -hmm. Yep. I will say, I do think the last one's the best. Um, There is an option in the Blu-ray where you can do it where they show you all three or they will pick a random one for you. Oh, that's Mm -hmm. cool. Yes. Yep. So my only issue with that last ending, and we'll talk about this as we get into the queer stuff, but like, Mm. that undoes Mr. Yeah. Green's I was queerness, gonna say, yeah. Whereas yes. neither of the other two endings do that. But also the third ending is the only one with the flame speech. So yes. without the flame speech, like... <laughs> Can you imagine yeah. not getting the flame speech? <laughs> oh my god. I actually had that when I rewatched it because I, I chose to watch all three endings as I always do. But we got through the first two endings and I thought, oh fuck, did I miss the flame speech? Like, did I go to the bathroom and not realize that I was missing it? And then it's like, oh fuck, it's in an ending. Yeah, so some, a whole bunch of people probably never got this and I can't even imagine. Oh my God, and Madeline Kahn was probably like, that was like my greatest moment. (laughs) It truly was. (laughs) I'm going to be gift for this, even though I don't know what that means. I know. (laughs) Uh, so I mean yeah so Lynn goes to director jail he he does some comedy in the early 90s then he does my cousin Vinny um he didn't really do much after that but, the, but he did a movie called the the fighting temptations with Beyonce and Cuba oh, yeah. Jr. Yeah, yeah. wow and Joe this might sound familiar because of student bodies but it's around you know the 90s and the early 2000s that Clue starts becoming a staple for basic and pay cable programs mm-hmm. eager to fill in non-peak time slots with cheap movies yeah there's no profanity in this movie. There's no sex. There's no mm-hmm. gore. This is an easy, like, let's put it on TV movie. And mm-hmm. I actually didn't watch this movie. I mean, I rented this movie a lot, so I never saw this on t- on cable. This was not one of those for me. Hmm. I never saw it on cable either. Like, mm-hmm. the fact that I, I didn't see it till I was in college is kind of surprising to me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Saw it on a good old-fashioned DVD. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, we have that bare bones. I mean, literally. So, yeah, Paramount has yet to capitalize on the film's rabid fan base in 2011. I'm sorry. The studio's home video division released a Blu-ray edition of the film with zero special features, except the three endings are listed as a special feature, by the way. Balls. 
That is such horseshit. <laughs> and yeah, uh, Lynn had his agents and manager call Paramount, and they said, uh, no, we uh, we don't want to do any extra features for this Blu-ray. <gasps> so. Thanks for ruining my life. <laughs> <laughs> well, also because Eileen I, I, Brennan was alive by the point this Blu-ray came out, so we don't have her anymore. Right. Madeline oh, Kahn had died already, but right. yeah. Yeah, that's, that's so sad, though. Mm-hmm. No. But um, but yeah. So that 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 is the making of Clue. I, I I normally don't go that long in the production history, but I was just like, holy shit! Like it's I can't saucy. not say this stuff. <laughs> I know. Yeah, lots of drama. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, let's maybe talk about the drama that's contained within the. I mean, I feel like I need to use air quotes narrative. Uh, I I do have almost <laughs> two pages of plot in this, but I'm just like, I'm missing all of the movie just by talking about it. <laughs> <laughs> so let me give it a go. So our story is set, as Trey said, in New England in 1954. That year will be important. We'll talk about it in a bit. But uh, yeah, we're introduced to Wadsworth the butler, who is played by Tim Curry. And he checks on Yvette the maid, played by Colleen Camp, as well as Miss Ho the cook, who is played by Kelly Nakahara. I never knew her name was Miss Ho, by the way. I know. It was like, oh, God bless your subtitles. <laughs> I always feel like she's a bit of a weak link. Like, okay, we have two people of color in this entire movie. One is a black police officer, and then we've got our Asian cook. And I don't even know that she gets a line of dialogue. She does. She says, dinner will be ready at 7 p.m. <laughs> wow. wow. <laughs> and that is it. Equity. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, oh it, it's, it's the same number of lines that singing Telegram Lady has, so it's probably fine. Okay, but she's a singer from the Go-Go's, so it's not like <laughs> she needs the money. <laughs> <laughs> is she even a singer, or is she just the drummer? Oh, she might be just the drummer. I just oh, know she's God. in the band. Well, she <laughs> sings perfectly in this movie. <laughs> she does. It's beautiful. She does a little tap. She gets shot dead. It's one of my favorite fucking parts of this movie. Because <laughs> 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 she doesn't even get to do anything, and then she's just dead. You're like, wait, what? Well, but, but that, that's, I know. that's an example of how editing works, though, because we get the gunshot, and then it, it, we don't see the gunshot hit her, but it's like mm-hmm. she just like, it's like cuts to her like mid-fall. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, and then the door just slams, and we don't even care. <laughs> That's honestly generally how I feel about having house guests. So I get it. Yeah, it's like if you're going to ring my doorbell, or if you're going to call me on the phone instead of texting, I'm going to shoot you like the singing telegram girl. Yes, this better be good. <laughs> 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 all right so yes we we basically have the arrival of all of these guests and i feel like my key takeaway from this is just that every single guest seems to be obsessed with yvette's boobs when they oh. walk in so they're oh either paying God, attention yeah. to her or they're staring down her dress every single guest every person mrs peacock I thought oh it like stretches her head out to like practically <laughs> shove it down her cleavage and <laughs> And then she makes this face. Like she, Eileen, Eileen her? Brennan is the is the master. It, it, it's it's not quite as good as their as her face. Whenever uh, uh, Wadsworth says that his wife had friends who were socialists, because that that's mm-hmm. that's priceless. <laughs> or when Mister Green says that he's a homosexual, and her disgust is just like ten out of ten. Oh my god! Uh, oh. Eileen, Bre- Eileen Brennan is serving me in this movie. I just love everything about it. Yes. Uh, yeah. So. I, I mean, the recurring gag here is that Wadsworth has stepped in dog poo, and then everybody stops to check their shoe because they worry that they are the ones who stepped in dog poo. And 
I do think it's funny. I do. Yeah, I wonder if it maybe set some of the critics off on the wrong foot saying, oh, are we just going to get shit jokes in this movie? Oh, yeah. Possibly. I mean, again, I, I mean, I'm just imagining Roger Ebert huffing around Chicago to all these different theaters like, okay, is this B? Is ending B? <laughs> no? God damn it. I gotta write my review. <laughs> um, funnily enough, Siskel and Ebert thought ending A, the Scarlet Dead ending was the best, and the ending C, the one we all like, was mm-hmm. the worst ending. Oh, get oh, out my of here. God. Just fuck off, both of them. Oh, <laughs> Seriously. Seriously, like, way to try to be a contrarian. Get out of here. <laughs> so true. Those two were, honestly. Oh, They're oh, basically yeah. the Muppets version of film critics. Like, <laughs> the two dudes up in the balcony. Yes! <laughs> Thanks, I hated it! <laughs> ah. Okay, yeah, so they all arrive. They kind of quickly realize that none of them really know what the fuck they're doing there. They all have pseudonyms that they don't really understand, but they're dressed like it's a fancy party. So then, yes, dinner is served at seven. So they go into the dining room and Wadsworth buttles them in and they have a seat. <laughs> I buttle, sir. <laughs> so they have a dinner of uh, shark fin soup. Shark fin soup, madame. <laughs> we miss her. Hey, y'all, it's Halloween. We're having fun with this one. Sorry. Yes. <laughs> and then, uh, of course, because no one really knows what to say, we've got Peacock doing her best hostessing gig, which is basically just Eileen Brennan talking for 30 seconds without taking a breath. It's glorious. It's wonderful. It's so funny. Uh, I laughed so hard watching it this time around. I was like... It's really when she makes that switch to... uh, Oh my, this soup is delicious. I am just... Mm -hmm. She looks around and everyone is like, lady. Just staring at her. What is her deal? Well, also, we we have the gag with the slurping too, which is, I guess, on par with the dog shit. But like, that's still really funny. Oh, see, I find that way funnier. Because you expect that Miss White is going to be a proper lady. Yeah. And then, you know, Trace, you and I have talked a million times about how we love so-called proper women doing either crass or vulgar things. And this feels like the G-rated version of that, right? She doesn't Uh need to cuss up a storm, but she is going to slurp that fucking soup. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't even think about that, but you're totally right, and I love you for it. (laughs) Uh, so the big thing to come out of the dinner is the fact that they do all have ties to washington and they're being paid by the government so Mm -hmm. mm, they have connections they maybe didn't realize and see this is something that like nine or ten year old trace did not i didn't understand any of this this conversation (laughs) but it also kind of doesn't matter like you just need to know that they're all being blackmailed Really, yes, at the end yep. of the day. You're right. But I, I really do like hearing like all the di- different connections. Because it does make sense in the end. Which, granted, mm-hmm. every time I watch the end of this movie, I'm like, okay, I'm going to like go with the Scarlet ending. I'm going to rewatch up until here and make sure all of this tracks. Because I'm always, mm-hmm. like, every time the, they find the cook's body, I'm like, okay, who's not here? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I so never hard. pay attention. Like, who's missing in the background? I'm never paying attention. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. <laughs> did, did y'all, the monkey's brains, by the way, it looks like meringue. I don't understand. Oh it- my god. I know. Yeah, I was so I was like, oh. <laughs> yeah, first of all, 
disgusted. Yeah. Oh, you're not supposed to eat brains. <laughs> Second of all, it kind of looks like a tasty dessert. I mean, I it looks like an ice cream like, or something, right? But looks good. What's the proximity yes. between this and the other infamous monkey brains in Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom? Oh Dunes? my god! So oh. I was. I yeah. yeah 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 because it looks like the same thing kind of because those brains in that movie actually look pretty good too. <laughs> so, <laughs> we apologize so to any vegans. Oh yeah, listen though, I feel like, and I don't know if this is correct, but is that kind of a racist thing to say? Like yes. this is like a Cantonese dish, and it's like, but is it? I don't know. Like uh, I don't know. That always kind of made me feel uneasy. I don't know. Yes. I mean, it's the time period, so it's like, whatever, you can't really do anything about that, I suppose. But I just remember watching it this time, and I was like, ooh, I don't know if that was a very good thing to say. There's, like, that whole thing about how, like, the cook is supposed to be Asian, right? right? And everybody thinks of Asian food, and they're like, ooh, that's, like, weird and gross, and they eat weird things. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of like that, like, you don't really think about it until afterwards and you're like oh shit (laughs) well until they mention it yeah but also miss peacock is later revealed to be taking bribes from international bodies so i think we're Mm -hmm. just meant to assume that she's well traveled and has maybe been to asia um she has a refined palate and i've never had brains but it's 100 percent on my eating bucket list okay (gasps) then I mean, you can very easily get, like, I think lamb or cow brains. Like, those are oh, relatively common. You know what? I might have eaten a cow brain before. Mm-hmm. I don't really know. I think I should know that. <laughs> oh, my God. Where's my dietary tracker app? Oh, there it is. Brains. Yes. Oh, no. They have those apps for, like, beer, and it's like, yes. but it's brains. But it's so brains. It's, like, it's different types of brains. brains yeah. I'm <laughs> All right, so then we get the arrival of Mr. Body, played by Leaving, and I'm sorry, that name, fantastic. But honestly, y'all, he is the least interesting part of this movie. And he, oh, God, yeah. He actually did decline to participate. He's the only person who declined to participate in this interview for BuzzFeed um, back in 2013. Oh, mm-hmm. uh, party pooper. Mm-hmm. I know. So this is when we get the revelation that everyone is being blackmailed from various shady activities. So Plum has sexually assaulted a female patient. Peacock is taking bribes. Scarlet as a madam. Colonel Mustard is one of her clients, but also is later revealed to be a war profiteer. Miss White is obviously a black widow. That's where all of her comedy comes from. And then mm-hmm. finally, Mr. Green is a homosexual and proud of it. Mm-hmm. A, I love that Scarlet is like, yeah, fuck it. I did it. Uh-huh. <laughs> I'm a madam. Yeah. I'm not going to deny it. Oh my God. Seriously, I love her. <laughs> um, I don't know who Peacock says it to, but I, I think it's Plum. But when she's like, oh, how disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> Are you passing moral judgments, Mrs. Peacock? Yes. Honestly, the way she says that, it reminds me of the way that the baby in Who Framed Roger Rabbit talks when he's not <laughs> acting like a baby. She's got such a, a deep, like, affectation in her vocal mannerisms. Yes. I fucking love it. And she, she gets this other, because I, I say this all the time, but whenever, like, someone's like, oh, is that, she goes, she stands up and goes, no, it's a vicious lie. Oh, I love <laughs> that. My fa- one of my favorite parts of this film is that, no, it's a vicious lie. And she, like, does, like, a little, like, a little dance, like a step ball change, and then she, like, sits down. <laughs> Literally. Every good part in this movie involves Mrs. Peacock, <laughs> especially like the part where she's screaming and he's like, 
I had to stop her screaming. Oh, <laughs> e- even yes. the physical comedy that, like later, whenever she's about to faint, and Wadsworth is like, fall into my arms, oh, and yeah. she just uh, slides down. <laughs> I love that gag so much. That one is so good. Even oh. the part where Body falls on her and she's screaming, but it also oh. looks like they're dancing. Yes. Oh, yes. When she's behind the curtain having to like prop the cook's arms up, but, but she, she makes this like, ah, sound from behind the curtain. I was just going to say, I love that part. It's just like, and honestly, I know like, okay, so listen, I know like they were saying that like the only improv line, I guess, mm-hmm. was Mrs. White mm-hmm. with the flames thing, but I don't know. Like Mrs. Peacock, obviously she makes these like, like those noises, right? <laughs> but yes. but Mrs. White, Madeline Kahn makes the same noises and listen, there's this one scene. I'm sorry, we're skipping to nope, Mrs. White. No, it's fine. Skip ahead. There's this one scene where uh, Mr. Green goes up to her. And yes. He's like, I hate when she uh, does that. And she ah! goes, and she goes, ah. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, I've, I've actually done this in theater, in, com- in comedies that I've been in. Oh. And I feel like that I, for sure, I know was improv. And I, mm-hmm. and I feel like... Madeline Kahn like I I feel I wonder if she did that because I feel like she maybe thought like I'm losing my audience or like I gotta like step it up a bit and stuff and I feel like that all of these women again like we talked about this but they really carry it Mm -hmm. they make these like little like the these little noises that Mm -hmm. are actually very funny and they engage the audience and they like get the audience to like even just giggle just a little Mm -hmm. bit or to like just get involved with the maybe the jokes that are coming by making these like silly little noises that actually are hilarious it's seriously like millennial humor it is like (laughs) how you Oh, for like, sure. How we quote vines and shit all the time, oh. and it's like the most ridiculous stuff. I don't know, like Abby, do you remember like when it was a thing where we would just go mer? Like people would say <laughs> <Yes>. that. <laughs> It's so fucking oh weird. I still yes. do that. I still do that. <laughs> it was like a thing where it's like you'd go up to your friend, you go mer, and your friend would go mer, and you would just like talk like that. Oh, see, that's my yes. whiny voice, like because because Amy Schumer has this joke where she's like, "Man, Kevin James won't give me his dick, man." <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> So I think that's why these, like, little noises that, like, Mrs. Peacock and Mrs. White make that are, like, just these, like, really goofy noises are so funny to me. They are so, it's so good. I wonder if maybe that's why Leslie Amorim plays Miss Scarlet a bit straighter. Yeah, she doesn't have those kinds of moments, does she? No. Not at all. Granted, more so than them. I'm not trying to belittle them in here. I I think Lloyd, Maul, and, um, McKean. shit. McKean. I think McKean does the best work out of the man, actually. But um, oh, first, yeah. <laughs> but mm-hmm. maybe it's because I mean, like, because of the gay thing. Like, like he is allowed to be more theatrical, I'll say, um, uh, than, than Lloyd and Mole are in some points. Maybe more like camp. They're able to like have this like campiness that the quote unquote straighter characters really aren't allowed to have. I guess. Mm. Yep. Oh, yeah. I, I I'm not disagreeing with anything right. that you're saying, but I also don't think we're giving Mole quite enough credit mm-hmm. because I think he begins the film very reserved and as it goes on we get to see these cracks in Colonel Muster's yes. facade yeah. like I love the moment where the chandelier falls and he basically has a heart attack and has he to go and sit down like, in the chair yeah. <laughs> yes yes I, I always true. love his um I'm only a guest 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, like it, I feel like what we're actually seeing is it's Lynn saying, No, I don't want any improv because I'm a screenwriter and my words are really yeah. important. Like I've calculated out the jokes. So you're gonna deliver them as I say. And then what all the actors do is they say, Well, we're gonna say them in a funny accent, or we're gonna do like murr. Like they're finding yes. ways to insert their own brands of comedy around it. And I think that's part of why it's so funny because the jokes are witty, but then we also have these weird slapsticky kind of mm-hmm. unexpected affectations. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. The yes. Um, when Madeline Kahn like hits her glass against the uh. the fireplace and goes, Play! <laughs> <laughs> I was like, she definitely like was not told to say it that way. She just no. did it herself. But also, <laughs> the fact that this is mostly like ninety nine percent Lynn's screenplay. I'm like, okay, he mm-hmm. spent six months writing this, but this is an ingenious script. Oh I mean, God. even the double negative running gag that keeps coming back. Yes, and honestly, I always knew like I knew they were jokes, but I wasn't really because again, this movie is so fast. It's like Gilmore mm-hmm. Girls here. But oh, yeah, like, you're missing eight jokes when you laugh at one. Yes. Right. Yes. Yep. But Joe, I'll go back. Like those subtitles, man. Like oh, reading yeah. the reading the double negative jokes. I was mm-hmm. like, oh. <laughs> oh my god, I know. I, I love, I love, love, love the scene where he's like, oh, "Are you trying to make me look stupid?" <laughs> he's like, "You don't need any help from me." That's right. Okay, but I've said I've like quoted that scene with a friend before. <laughs> like we just did it in public, and I think people were like, "What are these people talking about?" <laughs> wrong with these people i think she means he threatened in public to yes! kill her. <laughs> yeah. okay so that is actually one of my favorite jokes in this entire movie like that in terms joke? of wordplay i yes yes so funny because it's a grammar joke people it is a fucking joke about grammar like where mm-hmm. you put the comma matters uh, maybe yes. that's the, maybe that's the britishness of uh, of lynn too like he's really like yeah. it's not i don't even think this is dry humor but like it does feel I don't want to say more intelligent, but it is very smart. It's a very mm-hmm. smart script. Yes. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. For sure. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> no, it's fine. Yeah. I mean, it's like, here, let me read you my note. Wadworth proposes they turn the blackmailer in and body counters by giving the weapons from the game. <laughs> it's like the plot is so dry and by the numbers in terms of our murder mystery. But, you know, then we get stuff like Wadsworth being like, your first husband also disappeared, Miss White. But that was his job. He was an illusionist, Wadsworth. But he never reappeared. Well, he wasn't a very good illusionist. <laughs> Perfect. I do love the reveal of these weapons, though, because you get the music here where it's like, dun, dun, dun. Mm-hmm. dun, yes. dun but like, for all six of them, it's like, do we need this? No. But they're no. like, no, people, are, people know this fucking game, man. We yes. got to highlight these weapons. <laughs> well, it, it's hilarious. <laughs> it's fan service. Yes, absolutely. And this reveal to me is so like, again, like this campiness of it. It reminded me of a house on Haunted yes, Hill. That's 100% yeah. and of course, what I thought of this And of course the house is, is on a hill. It's called Hill House, It's called right? Hill House, yeah. Yeah, so I love that reveal. The, yeah, this movie starts like Scary Movie 2. Um, oh, but God. like, it's... But- <laughs> Oh my god! No, but like th- this does play as a spoof of those Agatha Christie type movies oh, yeah. in a way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and yes, for sure. I feel like this is never mentioned in parody or spoof because it's not directly parodying a specific text. It's just the general idea of mm-hmm. this murder mystery in a haunted mansion. Like that. Yeah, this is a, a spoof. It's a spoof. Well, I think it's because it's such a fucking good comedy. Like I said with my parents, they said, oh, Clue and Airplane are just straightforward, the best comedies out there. So 
typically when you think of parodies, you think of films that can't really stand on their own because they have to make fun of other texts. Whereas I would say mm. Clue is doing both. It's just doing it super fucking well. Mm. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's very clever in the way that it does it. There is a reason this is one of my top four films on my letterbox profile. Yeah. Oh. That's so good. Wait, what yes. are your other ones? I'm sorry. No, it's fine. It's, uh, it's Scream 2, Drop Dead Gorgeous, and Romeo and Michelle. Listen, yeah. Drop Dead Gorgeous oh. is <laughs> such an amazing film. I feel like, Gracie, we're getting a taste of like what you like in terms of comedies, and you like just a little bit of risque content, don't you? <laughs> I do, I think, for sure. <laughs> yes. And everyone, uh, Drop Dead Gorgeous is not out of the running for Horror Queers coverage because it is also a murder mystery, so we're going to count it. Oh my God, yes. so many people die in that <laughs> Great, and then you get a Jesus like on the cross oh, dancing scene. Oh Such a good, it's great. And Mama always said, "Don't eat anything that can take its house where it goes." <laughs> you don't know the last time I got food. Oh my God, Joe! Whenever we cover, we have to just do Minnesota accents the entire time. <laughs> oh, if you don't, I'll be so sad. Oh my A-L-A. God! Oh crap! Oh crap! Oh crap! <laughs> We're so terrible at accents, but sure, bad. Um, okay, <laughs> okay. Okay, so Mr. Body has been murdered, but he wasn't shot, even though we did get a shot in the dark. I feel like we're just going to keep saying it. Oh, it's my favorite joke. But I love where Eileen Brennan takes the sip of brandy and they go, maybe it was poisoned. And mm. she just goes, ah! Oh, <laughs> yes! tr- trust me. One of my favorite Peacock moments is coming up and it is a completely wordless moment. And I'm so excited. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so they end up sitting here on the couch. Yeah, they slap her to calm her down a little bit. Unless she dies too, and then they all just stare at her. Yes. (laughs) What a bunch of assholes these people are. Oh, it's so (laughs) good. Like, imagine it. You're like just sitting there waiting to die, pretty much, and everybody's just like, you're like, I guess this is what my funeral is going to be like. Just in your face. Yeah. So they end up collecting Yvette because, of course, she's been listening in the billiards room. And uh, this is where Wadsworth gives them the kind of rundown of who he really is. So he says he was Body's butler, that this guy hated them all because they were unpatriotic. Wait, sorry. Okay, no, no, no. So this is the thing. So they're like, he decided to put his information to good use and make a little money out of it. What could be more American than that? Cut to Peacock, who just silently nods like, yep. (laughs) (laughs) And then, yes, we had friends who were socialists, and then just cut to everyone, and then Peacock in the middle is like, (gasps) (sighs) 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 Okay, so this is where I'm actually going to step away from the comedy and do a brief, like, a two-minute history lesson for folks who don't know, so... I cued everyone earlier that the time period that this film is set in is important. So this was the time period when the House Un-American Activities Committee, or HUAC, was kind of at the height of its power. So this was an investigative committee that was created in 1938, so post-World War II. It kind no. of got started going into it and then continued afterwards. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and... Basically, their purpose was to uncover citizens that were suspected of having ties to communists. So this is also known as the Red Scare period because we were so afraid of Russians. 
And this is when Senator Joseph McCarthy had begun this campaign against communists in specifically the US government and other institutions. And it was very much a witch hunt, like tattle on your neighbors, we'll put them on this blacklist, we'll get them fired, they won't be able to work again. It was actually a very big issue in Hollywood, because they basically just used it as an excuse to get rid of pretty much anybody who was Jewish. Well, I was gonna say, though, because we we talked back when we talked about Dracula's daughter, you know, we talked about Hedda Hopper. Wasn't Hedda Hopper like oh, really yeah. into this? Oh yeah. She yeah. basically used this to kick Charlie Chaplin out of the country. Jesus. Yeah. <sighs> and the height of this period was 1950 to 1954. Four. Mm-hmm. And also relevant to our queer angle on this particular film, there was a sort of secondary witch hunt that was occurring that was called the Lavender Scare. So this is also mm-hmm. when they were trying to expose gays and lesbians who were working in the government and other institutions with access to sensitive information. And they basically thought that the queer community was more susceptible to manipulation. So they were trying to out people so that they could get them blacklisted and basically just ruin their livelihood because they thought the queers weren't trustworthy which explains why at least with the first two endings green is paying his blackmail yes Yes. i don't know about y'all but every time he says like he says like you know i am blah blah blah, and i'm a homosexual i always look at the other people to be like oh how do they react and i think really only peacock is the one who kind of gives this kind of like ugh face Right, and yeah. she doesn't like anyone. So. No, no, really. <laughs> she, she is passing moral judgment on every single person in this room. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Except I think maybe Colonel Mustard when he reveals that he's a war profiteer, because she's kind of like, well, oh. that's sort of who I am as well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Except when he talks about, like, she does, like, kind of grill him when uh, she says, like, a lot of our airmen died because oh, those yeah. videos didn't work. But yeah. that's oh, not yeah. till after all that, yeah. But even because Joe, speaking of like, I mean, like just, you know, turning your neighbors in, I mean, you know, I live in Texas and that is, I mean, it's it's kind of up in the air, but it's a thing where it's like, oh, you can get $10,000 for turning someone in who's going to get an abortion. Yep. That's so fucking scary. It's horrible. There was a whole thing where they were like, oh, like, should Uber drivers who are driving people to get abortions be held responsible if they know what they're doing? Then they Mm -hmm. should be fined for driving someone to get an abortion. Yeah. My God. So yeah. disgusting. And the difference is basically just that at this time period that we're talking about in the film, it was actually government sanctioned, whereas here the government are fucking wimpy ass yeah. losers. So they're delegating the task to average citizens to be like, cool, now you can become Dog the Bounty Hunter for mm-hmm. women who want abortions. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, yeah. it, it, it's so funny because like when, when I, I mean, I, I know it's still like up in the air because I think, I think some Senate like blocked the bands like God, the abortion thing so. can't be enforced yet yet Oof. is that a double negative i don't know <laughs> <laughs> but even talking about it, oh it's just like this mccarthyism shit yeah yeah turning americans against each other i mean like mm-hmm. saying like this fucking patriotism whatever but blah. which listen that's what <laughs> that's what the other countries want though yeah like, that is what like russia and china like that's what they want they want us to turn against each other and so like the fact that we're kind of doing it to ourselves like the self-sabotage that's happening is so depressing and it's just always been this way i mean then the united states is an ironic name to have absolutely yeah it's so <laughs> when true have oh you God. folks been united just out of curiosity <laughs> yeah for real it's sort of ironic though that like this stuff happened so quickly after world war Two, mm-hmm. and after we saw like how neighbors would turn in like 
their Jewish neighbors to the Nazis yeah. and they would just like turn people yeah. over or like how kids who were in Hitler youth would like turn their parents in yeah. for helping Jewish families and stuff like that. It's so Yeah, and the only it's, difference is just, just that disgusting. oh, this is Americans and we're protecting Americans from communists. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. See also, because I uh it'll be out by this point, but our Patreon episode of Midnight Mass, where we talked about the the consequences of blind faith and mm-hmm. using the scripture to twist words and do evil. That yeah. show yes. was so fucking good. Oh, it's so fantastic. good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so back to this movie and back to the wacky hijinks. I apologize for like no. deflating the balloon there for a <laughs> no, moment. No, I'm glad you did. Because, I mean, <laughs> no, again, somebody's like, got to stay on track. Thanks, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> no, I know. Again, th- this is one more. It's okay. We went through the production, but honestly, we're gonna like, we're having fun. We're talking about our favorite lines, and so mm-hmm. I, I appreciate the at least a little bit of like historical context and analysis that we can do <laughs> to, to yes, offer something. Definitely. <laughs> Because it, it's always been one of those things where I didn't really understand why is this movie set in the middle of the 50s? Like, I yeah. just thought that it was kind of an Agatha Christie, old fashioned murder mystery thing. And then you realize, mm-hmm. oh, actually, the whole thing is really tied up in McCarthyism and the post-war fervor. Because mm-hmm. these are bad people. They've all done bad things. But arguably, you could say that Colonel Mustard and Miss Peacock, and to a lesser extent, the blackmailer himself are all the real villains, because they're the ones who are doing systematic damage. Like yes, Scarlet is just is, yes. letting people Great get their point. rocks off. Well, but she's also selling secrets. Okay, sure. <laughs> right, that's in that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my god, that's only in that's only an ending A, Trace. Come on. True. Right. True. <laughs> I, I, I know we're not there, but I know the way she says secrets, like, it's like, I don't know, it's secrets. like, it's like her, but it's like her mouth is half full of saliva. <laughs> yes! Oh my god, I'm so glad that you noticed that. <laughs> I sell secrets. <laughs> secrets. <laughs> You're like, what the fuck? She's like, we really had to go with that take. Thanks, everyone. She's like, I, I, know. I, I haven't been able to sit down for the entire month long of shooting. I just want to say my line and get out. <laughs> my mouth has just been collecting saliva the entire time because I can't sit upright. <laughs> These fucking corsets. <laughs> also, I can improv just as well as the other ladies. Secrets. <laughs> no, because when she pulls the gun out, she's like, it's like she's thrusting her stomach forward almost because yes. the corset is like bending yeah. her body backwards. <laughs> Get me out of this costume! <laughs> She looks like a piece of asparagus. <laughs> what? <laughs> Just ramrod straight, right? <laughs> no, because of the way that she's like shaped in the dress oh, and like the oh. color of the dress too. <laughs> Abigail. <laughs> I'm not body shaming i'm just saying that's what pops into my head when i see her describe yourself as a fruit or vegetable that's all we're saying <laughs> yes so speaking of food we should probably check in with the cook oh shit she's dead she's in the freezer with a knife in her back oh no best line who want to kill the cook dinner wasn't that bad <laughs> also if you watch because like whenever the cook falls on green he's like somebody help me and we cut back to them and scarlet rushes forward but then it cuts back and she just like (laughs) runs around the body and green stands there and smokes her cigarette (laughs) she's like i'll pretend to come over and help you but really i'm just gonna stand here and smoke and maybe pass some judgment (laughs) 
Yes. She gets a better look of the dilemma from that angle. <laughs> yes. So we return to the study and we discover, oh, Mr. Body's body has disappeared. And this is when Peacock says that she's going to go to the bathroom. And I love a French joke as well. So uh, she says, oh. is there a bathroom in the hall? And Yvette goes, oui, oui, madame. And then Peacock goes, no, I just want to powder my nose. <laughs> Yes. So what what do y'all think though of the bit where because you know we get um Scarlet pulls out the negatives of the pictures and we know that it's Colonel Mustard fucking well mm-hmm. not at this point someone but it's gonna it's revealed to be a vet but again this is the most salacious part of the movie for me when when one positions like, white yeah she goes get nobody 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 can get to that position and Christopher Lloyd's like sure they can let me show you and he like pulls her down on the mm-hmm. couch and gets her in a sex position. Get off me. Yeah, but like (laughs) she has a beat where she's kind of like, oh, I guess you can get into this position. And then she goes, get off me. Yeah. Yeah, she lets it happen. Then she's like, wait, no, stop. (laughs) Yeah, I know. (laughs) I was also curious. And now I have my confirmation. You may depart. (laughs) (laughs) But also the position, I mean, maybe it's because it's a PG rated movie, but like the position didn't look that complicated. It looks like it was just like, oh, one leg is up in the air. Trace's like, that's a Friday afternoon. (laughs) <laughs> this was the 50s, the 50s. though so. right. proper morals yeah. oh no uh, okay so they move these corpses onto the couch and they decide okay we're gonna lock up the weapons so they put them into a cabinet and wadsworth is gonna throw away the key and they open the door and there's a motorist standing on the doorstep and he is okay. played by jeffrey kramer there's a whole thing later where it's oh like he didn't really throw the key he put it in his pocket isn't there a shot of the key hitting, like, the opposite side of the driveway and going into the bushes? Yes. yes I think it's that he swapped the keys. <laughs> or it was okay. a spare or something, right? Okay, yeah. movie. <laughs> it, it's, it's a little <laughs> bit dodgy. I completely missed all of this. <laughs> There's oh. absolutely a shot of it bouncing into the grass, and then mm-hmm. later on he's like, yeah, somebody must have picked uh, the key out of my pocket. Only... And you're like, yeah. Mm. Mm. that's always the one where i'm like this it's like misery when she's doing that that spiel about like he didn't get out of the cock-a-doody car they cheated he didn't throw the cock-a-doody key right yeah (laughs) (laughs) and for that we have to kill six different informants So they take this motorist and they lock him in the lounge, which I, I love the repeated gag where people show up unexpectedly and they're trying to cover up the fact that there are just dead bodies accumulating around this mansion. So they just keep <laughs> locking them into rooms. Like, can you imagine yes. being one of these people and saying, I just need to use the phone. This group of shady ass motherfuckers <laughs> is like, yeah, just go into this room. <laughs> Click. Oh, my God. I do also love the line, is everything okay? And Colonel Mustard goes, yep, two bodies, all accounted for. (laughs) 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 So this is the part where they decide that they're going to pair up and explore the rest of the house because we don't trust that Wadsworth is telling the truth that there's no one else here. So again, when they're doing this and like, like, oh yeah, we'll we'll figure out who the murderer is. And Peacock's like, but the other half of the pair would be dead. And Mustard's like, this is war, (laughs) Peacock. You can't uh, can't make an omelet without cracking a few eggs. Any cook will tell you that. But look what what happened happened to the the dog! The way that he says it, too. This is war, Peacock! (laughs) 
they're like, sir, no, it is not. This is a dinner party that has gone horribly wrong. <laughs> Same thing, honestly. <laughs> Truly. I will say, I'm not bothered by all of the kind of gay jokes that they do with Mr. Green, but yeah. if I have a favorite, it's probably the one oh. where Yvette says, you know, I need someone to go with me because I am so scared. <laughs> and all of the men fall over themselves to say yes. And Green's just like, nah. <laughs> no, thank you. <laughs> I was going to ask y'all what you thought of the of the gay jokes in this. Honestly, the only one that I really remember every time I watch it is whenever Scarlet goes, oh, really? I think men like you were called a fruit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, but oh, no. I find it's just that like, was... it's it's a reference, but it's not a joke. So it's just kind of there for me. It doesn't bother me, but I'm also yeah. like, it doesn't add anything. Mm-hmm. But it also doesn't turn yeah. me off of Scarlet yeah. because it's not Scarlet going, oh, you're a fruit. I mean, I think she is making a joke, but like, yeah. I, I don't, I don't think it's mean spirited. And also because mm-hmm. obviously Scarlet's very sexually progressive. I'm just like, oh, I'm sure she loves the gays. Right. She probably oh, has gay sure. informants. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. It's truly, seriously. She seems like a woman who would have boy hustlers in her red themed establishment. Yeah. Which I don't know. I feel like, I feel like she's also sort of queer coded because she takes mm-hmm. a gander at Yvette's breasts and is like, what are you hiding in there? Or what are you keeping warm or something? She says, oh, know. yeah. And yeah. I was like, oh, I was like, oh, ho, ho. Well, it's because Yvette is her well, well. employee, right? Yeah. So Right. I definitely paid more attention to the way that they interact this time. And it's very much like, uh, hey, good to see you here. Ha ha, mm-hmm. wink, wink, nudge, nudge. But you're absolutely right that there's a certain appreciative glancing at Yvette mm-hmm. also from Scarlet. Mm-hmm. She sometimes, though, I don't know, maybe it's just me, but she seems kind of like predatory mm-hmm. yes. sometimes. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Like there were some parts upon rewatching this movie where I was like, ooh, like just because she's a woman, she doesn't get a pass kind of thing. Oh, for like, sure. I'm glad you noticed that. Interesting. Abby. Yeah, like, I don't know. See, that's so funny because I feel like that's something Trace and I would have just unabashedly praised. Like, oh, she's sexually liberated and she gets <laughs> yeah. to sexually harass anyone she wants. Yeah, no. <laughs> Oh, does it not work that way? Shit. I mean, I also think it's interesting. I mean, it's not really a huge deal, but it's like, again, we have three endings. Two of them, it's female, like the women did it. Yeah. And then the yes. other one, it's like, oh, every, there's never um, an ending where it's, oh, just one of the men. So I'm surprised, you know, I mean, even though the Peacock ending is kind of the weakest one, I'm surprised they didn't be like, oh, let's make one of the men the killer for this one. Right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Huh. Yeah, that is true. That's actually pretty progressive because... Especially, like, for that time period, there aren't a lot of female villains that are, like, hmm. really, truly bad. They usually have, like, some kind of angle or, like, or some sort of redeeming. Kind of, like, funny. Right. Yeah. Yes. Hmm. Also, they use weapons that are considered very masculine, I feel like, right. too. Like, it's a lot of objects yes. in this movie. <laughs> right. Like, women normally poison, I think, is what the common thing is. And mm-hmm. none of the, there's no poison in this. No. I mean, they think there is, but there isn't. I so, wonder yeah. if that's just because they had to play within the confines of the game, but it's also well, like, yeah. cool, okay, yes. we can't do, like, I would argue the knife is probably the most traditionally female weapon mm. after poison, and yet mm-hmm. even that, it only gets one murder out of it. Well, I, th- right. I, th- I think each weapon gets one more. Does any does any weapon get more than one besides the revolver? Uh, oh. Yeah, no, you might be right, actually. Yeah. Does the lead pipe? No, because I, I thought the motors was killed with the lead pipe, but the motors was killed with the wrench, and the cop is killed with the lead pipe. Yeah, I think it's right. one and or then the other. And then there's the candlestick, yep. which is a similar. That's Mr. Weapon. Body. Yes. Yeah. 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 Yes. 
rewinding a tiny bit, I don't know if really this means anything at all, so we can just skip it if, if y'all want to discuss it. But like, this is 85, you know, it's set in the 50s, it's gay jokes, blah, blah, blah. When this is being filmed, it is like we're entering the height of the AIDS crisis. Oh, yeah. yes. yes. I was thinking that. Absolutely. So. Yeah, definitely. No, that's for sure, like, very culturally relevant, I feel like. Also, mm-hmm. we're, because I was born in 88, so I'm a little off with this, I think, but was the Cold War? Cold War was still pretty... It's just starting to wrap up. Yeah. It's just starting to wrap mm-hmm. up. Okay. Sorry, it's starting to wrap up when you're born, but it would have still been pretty high in the mid-80s. Yeah. So even this whole, like, this whole thing about like distrust yes. and, and putting McCarthyism in general would still right. be very yeah, yeah 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 right yeah because oh. everything happens in 30 year cycles apparently <laughs> yeah oh my god <laughs> <laughs> you're right <laughs> well shit <laughs> oh. see y'all in uh 2040 something yep <laughs> no 20, 2050 oh, 2050 2050 something there we go <laughs> Uh, okay, so yes, everybody pairs up. So we've got Yvette with Green in the attic. We've got Scarlet and Mustard on the ground floor, Wadsworth and White on the second floor, and Plum and Peacock in the cellar. And I do love this section has arguably some of the best physical comedy bits mm-hmm. as nobody trusts each other so they don't want to go before or behind anybody. So it's a lot of people <laughs> squishing their bodies through tight places. <laughs> Yep. <laughs> but also, what are you afraid of? A fate worse than death? No, just death. Isn't that enough? <laughs> just for but truly. <laughs> That's just smart. I'm sorry. <laughs> I know. <laughs> so one of my new favorite affectations is when Miss White is just by herself and she goes, are you hiding? I'm coming. <laughs> It's just such a weird line. Like, if people haven't paid attention to it, I would honestly encourage you to seek it out because it's just like, lady, what are you doing? It's so amazing. And meanwhile, you know, like, Wadsworth know. is just, like, turning on the shower on himself. I know exactly what, what part you're talking about. But also, this is when we're, we lose track of people. Like, even yes. though mm-hmm. we, ha- we have them paired off, we have a lot of shots where it is just one person because they're split up in the room they're in. Mm-hmm. So... It makes it easy for the audience to be like, oh, shit, like, I don't know where anyone is in this movie. But at the same time, you're just kind of like, oh, partners, like, why aren't you looking at your partners? Right. And also, (laughs) like, all the murders happen on the ground floor. So Mm -hmm. your best bet is probably one of the two people who were on the ground floor. (laughs) Mm hmm. Yep. Which is maybe why Scarlet does make sense as a killer, because she has a lot of access. Yeah. That's what I've heard is that a lot of people, I guess, really love the Scarlet ending because it makes the most sense to them. Okay. Mm-hmm. I mean, I can definitely see it. Like, her motivation makes perfect right. sense. She does have a very close relationship with Yvette. And, mm-hmm. yeah, and she's got access to kill both the motorist, the police officer, and And she's unapologetic Yvette. from the get-go. Right. True. Yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. She might be kind of a sociopath. Uh, <laughs> uh, wait, wait, actually, question for Charlie. y'all. When y'all play Clue, who do you play as? I always play as, I'm not even kidding, I always play as Miss Scarlet because she goes oh. first. Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay. She yep. goes first in the game and you can't, I don't know, I just feel like you're better off going first in anything. <laughs> Except if you're playing the squid game. No, what God. Was that? The- oh, God. <laughs> oh, no. No spoilers, but there's yeah. one game where going first is maybe not such a good <laughs> idea. <laughs> oh, no. 
to be really honest with you, mm-hmm. I hate board games <gasps> and I've never played Clue. Oh, <laughs> but it's okay. also kind of a card game. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. That's true. And I'm still saying no. <laughs> my Yeah, I know. My cousins always were like, come in. Like at every holiday gathering, come in, let's play Clue. Come in, you never want to play. And I'm like... Fuck, I just hate board games. Just watch the movie. <laughs> yeah, I'll watch the movie while you play the game. Yes, precisely, precisely. Uh, okay, so Trace, who did you play? It's either Scarlet or Green, because Green's my favorite color, but I also play as Scarlet because A, she was sexy, and yes, she goes first. Yeah. Right, 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 right. Uh, I think the one or two times that I've actually tried to play this, I played as Plum because I thought, oh, well, if I'm a professor, then maybe that will help to imbue me with some intelligence. (laughs) 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 That's, no, you know what? I like that line of thinking. (laughs) It doesn't pay off, clearly, because I saw Actually, because in the game, too, Mrs. White's the maid. So I remember when I first saw this movie, I would always get so mad that Mrs. White wasn't Yvette. Right. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Yep. When you're a little kid, like the logic is like, yeah, is unforgivable. Like, <laughs> yeah. doesn't strictly adhere. It's like yes. so. I saw the Ghostbusters movie for the first time after I had seen. I think it was called the Extreme Ghostbusters cartoon, and in that cartoon, there was a female Ghostbuster. And so oh. when I first saw the movie Ghostbusters, I was so mad because I wow. thought I thought Sigourney Weaver was going to become one of the Ghostbusters. Oh, <laughs> see, that would have been great. Oh. Yeah, I know. Yep. Shut up. <laughs> Leave it to the '90s cartoon of Go- Extreme Ghostbusters to put a woman in the mix. There we yes. go. Yes. Mm-hmm. See. Okay, so I said I don't actually play the game Clue very often, but I did have this weird knockoff game. I'm curious to hear from any listeners who may have heard oh it. God. It was Please called 13 Dead End Drive. <laughs> yes, I played it. <laughs> I've never even heard of it. So Me neither. It's kind of fun because it's the same principle, but what you're moving, it is a board game. So I'm sorry, Abby. You basically just move the character <laughs> okay. around, but the idea is like, whoever's pitcher is on the mantle will inherit this dead woman's fortune so you're trying to knock off other players so like you can move your player but you can also move other players and then you move them into traps where they will be killed yes but my favorite thing about this is that you can play as the dead woman's cat so the cat can be one of the characters that inherits (laughs) the fortune so i always played as the cat well, so the way it worked was, I think there's like 12 characters, yeah. depending on how many players you had. So if you only had three players, then each player would be four characters. Yes. Wow. And basically, like, there were character cards in the portrait, like Joe said, but you would rotate them, like, based mm-hmm. on, like, I guess you laid on a space. But yeah, there was, you could either drop a chandelier on someone, you could mm-hmm. knock them down the stairs, you could throw them into the fireplace, you could yep. drop a knight statue on them, or you could drop, uh, oh, they could climb to the top of the bookcase and the ladder will fall and they'll yes. break your neck. It was so fun. Oh, my. It was kind of like a mouse trap thing where you were just yeah. actively looking to set off traps and kill people. <laughs> yeah. Oh, uh, wow. we'll send y'all. We'll send y'all a picture because this game took like thirty minutes to set up because you had to set all the traps up. Yeah. Yeah. Oh God. <laughs> 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 but it's a kids' game. It's not like a strategy board game no. where it's like, oh, I'm reading instructions for three hours. Like it's it's just it's a basic game that just takes thirty minutes to set up. There were parts. There were parts to set up. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh I'm so glad God. you played that. I used to play it with my sister all the time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it's a sillier version, I think, of Clue. Mm-hmm. Mm. Give me that movie. There we go. Yeah. 
Okay, so uh, everybody is exploring, and as this happens, we have a police officer who is played by Bill Henderson, who is checking out broken cars, and then this is where somebody burns the evidence, opens the cabinet, collects the weapons, murders the motorist in the lounge, and then that's when Mustard and Scarlet discover the body, and we get the fantastic scene where they're trying to get out, and everyone else is trying to get in, but also everyone collides on the stairs, and yeah, it's just funny. So Apparently that too. Um, that um, apparently like those are stunt doubles when they all collapse on the stairs, and it's really if you pause it and like look at it, it's really obvious it's stunt doubles. Oh really? Okay. Yeah. Oh wow, I, I never noticed, but <laughs> me neither. <laughs> now I'm now I'm gonna go back and watch it. That's not you. <laughs> in case anybody is wondering what it's like to live in a house with multiple children, mm-hmm. that's what it's like. <laughs> <laughs> Just people constantly running at each other full speed. Oh, oh it's yeah. so true. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, as long as you have health care, that's all that's matters. Yeah, yeah exactly. I suppose. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so this is where we get the fun gag as Yvette tries to shoot out the door, but she accidentally shoots at the chandelier and she nearly kills Mustard. And this is where we realize, oh, shit. How did she even get the gun? The cabinet has been open this whole time. Uh, And then this is when the police officer arrives and they have to kind of play it cool. So they home alone style all of the corpses in the rooms to make it seem like it's just a happening party. Yeah. Oh, Uh, this is a life could be a dream, sweetheart. (laughs) Scoopy dooby doo. Oh my. I do enjoy that Ms. White is just actively making out with the body. She truly is. Mr. Body. She is a freaky, freaky lady. She's like, oh, you remind me of one of my five husbands. (laughs) That's, surprise, that's my kink. (laughs) Well, they never said she did anything with the body, so we don't know. I mean, she could. It's true. It's true. (laughs) (laughs) so there's a funny line where the police officer is obviously not observing anything illegal so he says well there's nothing illegal here and wadsworth goes there isn't and he goes this is america (laughs) (laughs) yes the land of the free don't you know it's i didn't know it was that free (laughs) something like that So they lock him back up and go back to searching the house. And uh, this is when Yvette meets her untimely end. I do love the last minute reveal that Yvette is not actually French. Yes. I I remember every time she died, I always thought it was a mistake. (laughs) Listen, can we talk about what she says, though? Do you understand what she's trying to say in that scene? Because she says like... They know it's me, and they know every inch of my body. And I remember, I watched it this time around, and I was like, what the fuck does that even mean? Like, what is she talking well, about? Do you know? If she's talking about Scarlet, mm-hmm. then that makes sense. Well, Mustard already fucked her. Yep. Yes. Yep. Okay. Is it her in the picture, maybe? Yeah, it is her in the picture, yeah. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Yep, yep, yep. So. I will say that as a child... This murder scene actually scared the crap out of me, not because of the fact that she died, but because the voice of the killer Mm -hmm. is very, it's like, okay, so this is a straight up giallo right here. Yes, yes, the black one. Oh my God, for real. (laughs) 
Thank you. It's yes. The only thing I don't like about it is I wanted her to walk into a noose and have it be that she gets hung from the sorry, hanged from the ceiling. Because this one is like a lazy lasso around her neck and then she pulls herself into it and yeah. dies. Yep. <laughs> which, yeah. which if she was a dumb character, that would make more sense, but I don't think she's a dumb character. She's playing dumb. No. Right. No, she's no, no. definitely playing dumb for sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because this is the reveal that she's actually been putting on a fake act the mm-hmm. entire movie, right? So we have to mm-hmm. assume that she's like an undercover agent for Scarlet or that mm-hmm. she's even going out on her own. I was frightened. I also drank the cognac. <laughs> Monty! <laughs> Monty! <laughs> It's like a French version of Boris and Natasha. <laughs> yes. Uh, okay, so Yvette is dead, the police officer is also murdered, and this is where the singing telegram girl also meets her end. She is played by Jane Wielden. Okay, so here's the thing. So like, I, I think, Gracie, maybe you mentioned earlier like how like short this movie is. When Wadsworth says, I know who did it, I'm going to tell you how it's all done. Mm-hmm. It is an hour and eight minutes into yes. this movie. Yep, yep. Like, whoa! Yeah. It's an hour-long game, and then we get the reveal. Right. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's a, that's a good point, hmm. yeah. Uh, I do also enjoy the line, six murders. This is getting serious. <laughs> 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 and just the fact that none of them react anymore. Like, they're just I walking know. around. Yeah, new oh, bodies. Oh, so good, where they see all the bodies, and they're like, okay, yep. Mm-hmm. Earlier when they do the smash cut, when they have the body, it just smash cuts to them just dropping it in the study. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah. <sighs> I, mm, you could definitely make the argument that I'm being too sensitive, but the way that they handle the cook's body feels very, like, uncomfortably <laughs> fat shamey now that I'm oh, watching yes. it. yes. Yep. No, you're not being sensitive. That's a very good point. It, it is a fact. Although I do love the line where they're just like, just lay her over the arm and bend her over. But yeah. I kind of like how Professor Plum doesn't know what to do with his arm. So he just kind of casually puts it on her lower back. Like, it's an arm rest, I guess. <laughs> yeah. But you're right. There's literally like a four second shot when they're picking her up to put her on the on the couch. And it's just everyone is like looking like they are just lifting the heaviest thing imaginable mm-hmm. yeah. and there's four of them lifting her <laughs> right i know like uh... there's something scientific about a dead body weighing more but we don't get the same kind of exertion when we're moving mr body's body mm-hmm. right yeah seriously yeah um okay so six murders this is now very serious but wadsworth has figured it out so he is going to run them through the evening and he was in the hall he knows because he was there <laughs> I mean, we don't have to go through this entire, because obviously, like, it's just repeating his lines. But my favorite bit here is whenever he, he does the introduction, he goes, And Mrs. White, oh, pale and tragic. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> my favorite part is when he is like, and I think they go into the library study, I don't remember, but he goes, and then I introduce them. Hello. Hello. Yeah. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yes. Oh my god, that's like peak Tim Curry. Well, it, it's interesting. Do you feel like this is the moment where Tim Curry really gets his moment? Because he's had a lot yes. of other funny parts, but he, in a way, is almost the narrator slash audience surrogate. Like, he delivers the exposition, he gets the characters to where they need to be, but then this is the part where he gets to run around like he has drunk eight Red Bulls and he has energy to burn. Well, so cocaine. 
The cocaine. Cocaine. (laughs) So, you know what's so funny? I'm going to go actually go back to the musical because Mr. Body in the musical is sort of the narrator for the audience. He actually, like, even though he is dead, he kind of narrates what's happening and what's going on he has a song and stuff even though he's like i said he's dead and whatever (laughs) okay and his like high energy level in the musical is basically what tim curry's energy is oh wow yes in this film which makes me think that that was kind of on purpose because the i'm pretty sure the musical came after this movie oh for sure and yeah I think that that's sort of what they were going for with the Mr. Body character Hmm. um, in the musical was to be like Tim Curry. And Abby, you said this was peak Tim Curry. I almost, I just don't know if I necessarily agree with this role as peak Tim Curry, but how he's acting at the end is for sure. Like that is the Tim Curry that like I've been waiting for. Mm. Oh yes. Yes. That's what I meant. Like as far as the film goes. Uh, Right. Because we all know Rocky horror and Muppet treasure Island are peak Tim Curry. (laughs) (laughs) I made my mom take me to go see Muppet treasure Island and she fell asleep and never for my birthday, by the way, she never let me hear the end of it and how terrible it was. (laughs) Are you kidding? You know, Trace, your mom has committed a lot of sins, but this, this might be a top-ranking one. I think it's why I don't like I mean, my parents never liked the Muppets when I was growing up, but I think no. that I think that movie experience and her being so like put out by having to go see this movie made me like hate the Muppets for the rest of my life. Oh, oh you poor God. dear. Um, also, the no. Clue musical was 1997. Oh wow! There you go. Okay, so, oh, okay, yeah. On Broadway. I off love Broadway. That. Off oh, Broadway. Sorry. Okay. I was going to say, I don't think it was it on Broadway. Oh, my God. It was in New York, just off Broadway. Right. Right. Okay. <laughs> uh, okay. Yeah. So he runs them through everything. We've got the iconic score going. We've got the joke, make a long story short, too late, and get on with too it late. repeatedly. <laughs> I don't think we need to run through how everybody is connected, but basically several of the murders were committed by Yvette. Uh, we also have a very quick introduction by an evangelist who is played in an uncredited role by Howard Hessman. And I do love Miss Peacock's dismissive, get out of here, you beatnik. Yeah. <laughs> no, no. Was it whenever he answers, she answers the door. She's like, "What? <laughs> Our lives are in danger. You beat Nick. Go away. <laughs> Whoever it is, they gotta go away, or they'll be killed. Yes, the best. There's we'll just so dead. much arm motions in these scenes, too, right? I know. <laughs> Did we forget to mention how Mrs. Peacock's head thing, <gasps> her feathers, just like fell in her oh, face what? at one point? Oh, yes. and she's oh, like trying to say her lines. Okay. Is that improv or is that intended? Because it is comedic genius. Oh, it's so good. I hope and pray that it was improv, but I don't know. Me (laughs) too. It was so perfect. Oh my god. Puffing it out of the way in between lines. (laughs) (laughs) She is such a hot mess. I love it. So we now have our three endings. So in the A, it was Scarlet. And yes, she is looking for government secrets. Secrets. I'm so glad y'all validated my saying that because I every time I watch this movie, I'm like, she just says secrets so weird. Yes! 
Oh my god. I will say we sounded like we didn't like Leslie Ann Warren quite as much as the other women, but I think this is the moment where she also gets to do the best word gag with yes. Wadsworth yes. when she does the no, one and two and when they're counting the bullets, shut it's up. all very fun. <laughs> yeah, the shut up is so funny. <laughs> shut up. Yes. I mean cuz I mean she's the femme fatale. Mhm. Yeah. It's, yeah, it, it's it, this. This is definitely her showcase moment, which honestly may be why. I mean, when when writing the script, he was like, "Oh, I haven't really given Scarlet a moment, so maybe that's why one of the endings is this." Maybe, yeah. So the B ending is with Peacock, and this is that she works for multiple foreign powers. We have Wadsworth is actually secretly working for J. Edgar Hoover, and uh, we do get that funny moment where Mr. Green says, she was a man, and then he just gets slapped twice. They're like, you dumbass. (laughs) So apparently that's also a bit of wordplay because a peacock is actually a male version of a peacock. Yes! A female peacock is called a peahen. Yes, that's okay. true. Oh, wow. Wow. That is a deep cut wordplay. Right? Yeah. <laughs> but that's what no, I'm saying, though. So I mean, like, this, this script is rich with just jokes of dumb and intelligent variety. Mm-hmm. And I have seen this movie at least, at least 25 times in my life. Wow. Every time I watch it, I catch something new. Every single time. Yeah. I love that. Thank you for pointing that out. I didn't even catch that. <laughs> Was Stanley Kubrick involved in this movie? <laughs> <laughs> Was there a chair in one scene and then they cut back and the chair is gone? <laughs> I think you're thinking of Mr. Body's Body. Oh! So the C ending is by far the longest one, and this is where more or less everybody has a part to play. And I think that's part of the reason why it feels so satisfying, because it it doesn't suggest that one person could have committed all of this, and it also paints all of these horrible people as equally guilty. Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So we have uh, Plum killing Mr. Body, Peacock killing the cook, Colonel Mustard killing the motorist, White killing Yvette for the flames... On the sides of my face. <laughs> Sorry, we all had to do it at some point, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. We have Scarlet killing the cop Wadsworth, shooting the singing telegram girl, and the revelation that he is actually Mr. Body, and Mr. Mm-hmm. Body was his butler, and then Green is revealed to be the one who is working for the FBI. And he is also straight, and he's going to go home, and if this movie was made now, he would say, I'm going to go home and fuck my wife. So, okay, I, I do agree plot-wise, this is the best ending. My my two gripes, I actually don't like that all of them get arrested at the end. Like, I, I know, like, they're all bad, and they all they all like, did crimes, and I'm like, oh, I don't like that they're, they're all murderers. But again, like, I do like the whole, oh, I, I shot Mr. Body in the hall with the revolver. Mm-hmm. And I, I do really hate that we walk back Green's queerness. Like, yes. honestly, I've never put that much thought into it, really, until this viewing when I was like, oh, wait, that only applies to this ending. It yes. doesn't apply to any of the other endings. No. So yeah. for that reason alone, that's why I think I think I prefer the Scarlet ending because, yes, it makes the most sense. And we still have a queer character. The last one doesn't do that. So I, you know, what's so funny is that I always kind of felt like he was still playing like yes. pretend. I've seen mm-hmm. theories uh, about that on Reddit. Yeah, because oh. it's so funny that you say that because I never once thought he was not a queer character and mm-hmm. that his whole like and i'm gonna go home and sleep with my wife just yeah. seems like such a cover because he's like trying to like say like yep i'm gonna go do that you see like he's you know what i mean okay it's very performative okay. yeah like, and so i'm not 
gay? I can back that up because he says that after his colleagues from the FBI have come in. So if we use the principles of the lavender scare, he may have not been ashamed of it when he says it to this group of people, but around the people who could arrest him or cause him to lose his job, he has to go back into the closet and be like, I'm going to go home and sleep with my wife. Yeah, because that seems <laughs> wink, very wink. that seems very like 1950s, like the way that he said it too. Like I just feel yeah. like, it, yeah, like Abby, you said it's very performative, and I I just always thought that he was still acting. So you know in front of those guys, so yeah, I'm going to go with that. But I guess because my mindset is like you know again his story is that he was being blackmailed for being gay. Mm-hmm. But in this ending, is that also a story that he was being blackmailed? Like was he planted there right. so, by the FBI? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I guess that's just up for interpretation. I guess however you want to see the film. It's true. You know what? You're right. He's gay. <laughs> <laughs> no straight man. No straight man would ever say something like that. Are you kidding me? <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know about that. <laughs> but I mean, he's so he's so dumb and nervous. and <laughs> <laughs> Lots of straight white men who might say that, mm. yes. <laughs> Yeah, I actually found a Reddit thread that went on this whole speculative fiction. It's almost like fan fiction or slash fiction in a way where they say, oh, so what was actually happening was Mr. Green is actually gay and he was sleeping with Mr. Body or the butler, depending on which (gasps) version that you're doing this with, because he's an informant, right? Like that's how Wadsworth or Mr. Body, whoever is blackmailing, discovered that he was actually queer, right? Like you needed to have some proof. Yes. So then it's like, because he works for the FBI, he was able to organize this like sting where he would be a plant so that he could get to the evidence and cover it up so that he doesn't get outed to his work colleagues. And I was like, holy shit, somebody spent a lot of time thinking about this. Oh my god. I appreciate it, (laughs) both. I know, seriously. I have always wanted to rewatch the movie. Again, watch ending A, go back and watch the movie up until ending A starts and see if I can make sense. Watch ending B, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. And uh, ending C is the hard artist for that though because everyone is involved yes yes yeah it's very complicated But also at the end of the day, I mean, I recognize that critics didn't like the fact that they had to chase around the endings and that kind of stuff. But I kind of feel like this movie doesn't hinge on whoever the murderer is. Like, that presupposes that you're watching this as an actual mystery. I'm watching this as a comedy. So if the ending doesn't 100% work or one ending is better than another, I still got 89 minutes of fucking hilarious comedy. And that's what's most important for me. Like, I don't really care Mm. who the killer is. Yeah. No, I I agree. I agree. Yeah. I think if you go into it with that mindset, then yes, you're, you're bound to have a good time with it. But right. If you're a critic and you're like, what the fuck kind of murder mystery? (laughs) Yeah. So So. all that to say, fuck you, Janet Maslin and fuck you, Siskel and Ebert. (laughs) (laughs) Correct. (laughs) (laughs) No lies detected. (laughs) No. And I mean, that's Clue, and we're going to shake, rattle, and rock. Wait, roll? Roll? Is it roll? roll, Rock or roll? I don't know. What am I? (laughs) I don't know. Either way, it's a good time. I used to to dance to these credits, you know? Just dance around the room. Oh, when I was watching it earlier, my little boy was with me in the kitchen, and I was dancing with him to the song when it was playing. <laughs> but it was fun. Whenever we watch movies for this, you know, I'm like, okay, I got, I got my thinking brain on, I'm ready to do analysis, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. And last night when I was watching this, I was just like, fuck it, I can't, I, I can't just, I can't stop laughing. No, it's too funny. <laughs> oh 
Oh my god, same. Same. I was like, okay, serious business. I got like my little I got notes my notepad out. out. Oh, I'm just writing down funny lines of dialogue. <laughs> Literally. (laughs) And so honestly, I'm kind of glad we aren't called the comedy queers because I don't know what we would do. (laughs) We would have to get really good at telling jokes or breaking them down. Yes. (laughs) Let me tell you why this punctuation gag works as well as it does. Everybody take a seat. God, could you? That would just ruin. No, absolutely not. I was going to say, everyone loves when a joke is explained. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And after that, we're going to tell you how magic works. Oh, oh, man. Well, okay. <laughs> Final thoughts on Clue. And ladies, please, as the guests of honor, go first. Oh my gosh. Abby. Gracie, you go yeah. first. Heaves <laughs> <laughs> little snot. Um, <laughs> so I yeah, I like I said at the beginning, like this film, when I first saw it, well, the first time I remember seeing it, I felt like the jokes didn't land and I wasn't really getting it. But you know, I really think that this is sort of one of those films, at least for me, that you need to kind of watch it with others because it is so quotable, because it is so memeable or whatever, like they're in and the millennial humor or whatever. I think that it is something that uh, can be enjoyed as a, like a, with a group. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like it's just one of those films that I had changed my mind on, which you're allowed to do, Absolutely. you know. <laughs> so I'm really grateful that um, I ended up marrying someone whose mother like really loved Tim Curry. <laughs> and like and i was able to like get reintroduced to this reintroduced to this film and like watching it again and then of course doing it for this show it's just one of those uh movies that really grew on me and i'm really thankful for that because it is very funny (laughs) yes this movie is like a bowl of delicious mashed potatoes it's so (laughs) like comfort food almost Mm. oh yeah if you're in like a not so great mood or like i just remember after seeing this for the first time, like, I would stay home from school sick, and, like, this is one of those movies that I would put on, like, to make me feel better. Right. There is so much nostalgia attached to it for me that, like, it will always have a very special place in my mm. heart, but also, the humor in it was kind of, like, a turning point for me. It was kind of like a graduation from that, like, adolescent humor mm. that I was so used to. To, like, a more mature, like, you have to pay attention kind of thing. So it, it this movie kind of trained me to look for that humor in other movies. That's so true. It is a great gateway, just like Airplane, yes. too. Like you mentioned, <laughs> yes. Trace uh, yeah. and yeah. Joe. It's a great gateway film for comedy, for young people. Mm-hmm. It is. I, I like what you're saying, too, because I think this film is a perfect blend of, like, immature slapstick humor, yes. but also... <laughs> that intelligent wordplay so it works for adults but it all it's a rare comedy that works for adults and for kids i mean again you try to show this to a kid you say oh it's a bunch of stuffy old people in a mansion but there's <laughs> enough slapstick here to entertain yes. them on a cartoon level yeah yes yep 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 it's kind of like it's kind of funny it's kind of a reversal of like how kids cartoons will have like some adult yes. jokes thrown yes. in there yes oh my god but it's like it's something that you can watch with two different age groups and be really entertained Mm -hmm. and it's also like sort of an introduction to creepy movies or like murder mysteries Mm -hmm. like it doesn't take it too seriously but it's enough to kind of hook you absolutely yeah so 
I think that it's important in that way, too. Like, for a lot of people, you might not get exposed to that kind of genre, but you see a movie like Clue, and you're like, oh, well... Maybe I should. Maybe I'll watch these other films. Right. I could see this playing really well with something like Scooby-Doo as gateway horror, where you're like, oh, it's Mm -hmm. spooky mansion, it's people getting knocked off, crimes being committed, larger-than-life characters, but also there's enough slapstick and, you know, embedded humor in there to make it go down just a little bit easier. I mean, yes. the the ending with the running back and forth, that, mm-hmm. I, I didn't even think about Scooby-Doo, Joe, so thank you, but you're right. Like, that feels very much like Scooby-Doo. Mm-hmm. We have the Scooby mm-hmm. gang running around the mansion, like, yep. running away from the killer, solving the mystery. like <laughs> Getting 100. nowhere, but running in place. Exactly. Yep. <laughs> yes. oh, yeah. I, I, on a treadmill, running again. Yeah. Oh, my. Exactly. Oh, my God. That's fucking, that's what he was referring to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. All right. Now it's forgiven. Okay. We'll give you that one, you critic. <laughs> uh, but, but he was using it as a negative, whereas we're all using it as a positive. Yeah. Yes. Um, yeah, no, I, I, I love Clue. I think it's a fantastic film. I do think it's up there with Airplane is one of the best comedies ever made. I Absolutely. just. It, 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 even last night where I was like, oh, do I need to watch this again? I've seen this. I, I can play this movie in my head back to front. But no, I mean, every single time I watch this movie, I laugh my ass off. Even mm-hmm. at jokes, I, I could recite verbatim. Yeah. Yes. It's just so good. Yeah. I concur with everything everyone has said. I think for me, it's a great illustration of the kind of British sensibility that I'm really attracted to in mm-hmm. comedy. Mm-hmm. That kind of high wit wordplay, but mixed with the kind of slapstick that I often see in American comedy. So mm-hmm. I'm loving the fact because I didn't really know that it was derived by a British creator. So that makes so much more sense to me now, because it does feel like a really good seamless blend. And I don't know, I mean, I enjoyed doing some of the research for this to think about how the McCarthyism angle plays into it. But yeah, the film is just so fucking goddamn delightful. It's like Mm -hmm. 90 minutes of sheer bliss laughing my ass off on the couch. (laughs) And if you don't think so, then you can fuck off. (laughs) (laughs) You can go with Janet Maslin and Ebert. (laughs) I'm just kidding. You know what? You can have your own party. How about that? Please keep listening to us. (laughs) Um... (laughs) Wait, no, don't go. Stay here. (laughs) We love you. Don't leave us. Sorry. Unsubscribed. (laughs) Oh, my God. Well, (laughs) okay. So we're going to close this out. But before we announce what we're covering next week, I'm Gracie and Abby First of all, thank you so much for coming on to this. This is a really fun discussion. We had so much fun. We had the best time. (laughs) It was great. I know. But let our listeners know, where can they find you and your show on social media? Well, we are on Facebook at Good Morning Nancy, Twitter at Good Morning Nan, and Instagram at Good Morning Nancy Podcast. And that's morning with an O-U. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, so. Wordplay in, in the cool episode. <gasps> yes! 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 <laughs> Well, if you want to get in touch with us, you can reach us on Twitter and Instagram at Horror Queers. Join our Facebook Horror Queers group to hang out with other listeners. You can find us on Letterboxd to keep track of all the films we've covered. And, of course, go to our YouTube channel to check out our Micro Queers videos. Well, right now our Micro Queers are actually Chucky recaps. We're doing those week to week. So please (gasps) go watch Joe and I talk about Chucky while we hold our respective Chucky dolls in the camera frame. Those things are fucking scary. Yeah, it's creepy. (laughs) Um, If you have a moment, please go rate and review us on apple podcasts and if you want even more horror queers content please support the show by becoming a patron at patreon.com slash horror queers we are at the end of october um we will announce our november schedule next week but in the meantime you can go sign up for our patreon and get episodes on slasher flesh and blood midnight mass 
Halloween Kills, audio commentary on Child's Play 2, and if you're listening to this before Halloween, we will be having an episode on Paranormal Activity Next of Kin before <laughs> November 1st. <laughs> yeah. Wow, this sounds like so much fun! <laughs> I know, what the even heck? October's been really crowded with horror content. <laughs> Holy cow, yeah. Yes, well... It's the time of year. Yeah. It's the most wonderful time of the year. <laughs> That's what I meant to say, I know, but, you know, mom know. brain. <laughs> we're not complaining, but also we're so tired. Yes, we yes. are. Well, and uh. this is the end of October for us. So, Joe, we are kicking off November with, I mean, a movie. What is it? <laughs> oh, my God, Trace. Uh, yeah, so, folks, we are celebrating our 150th episode next week. So Ooh. we're going to break out a big gun. This is going to be interesting because Trace and I don't 100% love this movie, but I think it's time for a rewatch. And we're going to check out Joel Schumacher's The Lost Boys. Oh! Oh. Listen, I don't 100% love that movie either. And I feel like I'm in the the minority, so I'm really excited to hear what you have to say about it. I, yeah. No, I, it's same. I feel the same way. Oh my god, I'm so excited for that episode. I heard about it growing up. I watched it once when I was in college at the age of 19. And oh, I, young Trace. Hmm. I didn't dislike it. I was just kind of like, oh, that's it. Like, that's yeah. all this is. Okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I feel like it appeals to people from a certain age range. Like, mm-hmm. if you grew up with this, this might have been a mainstay staple of your horror diet, in which case I think you have very strong feelings about it. And I just don't think that's yes. us. So I'm interested yep. to see if we can come back and appreciate it when we have to do a concentrated deep dive on it. And we will have a guest who loves the movie as well. Yeah. Yeah. We like to counterbalance the episodes where we're like a little bit lukewarm. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Well, everyone. All right. Uh, Have a happy and safe Halloween. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think we can cross out Clue. Please. Yes. Cross (laughs) out Horror (laughs) Queer.